several uh, months have really been meant to sort of help with that, um, but we can, uh, we can always seek uh, different ways. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? Okay, great. Thank you again. We're gonna move on to section three, uh, recognitions and reports, and we're at 3.01 school action plan reports, and I'll turn it over back over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, Chair Downs. I'm actually gonna turn it over to Dr. Bates. We have some amazing people here tonight that we're gonna invite up to do some work, so I'll turn it over to Mr. Bates. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Good evening, Chair Downs, Vice Chair Gould, and members of the board. It is our pleasure to present the school action plans to each of you and the general public this evening. This presentation gives our school leaders an opportunity to share all of the great things that are occurring in our schools on a daily basis as it relates to teaching and learning and the overall instructional process. You'll remember that last month we were able to provide a data update <coughs> presentation to you. And although we outlined some areas that we needed to um, experience some growth in and additional support, um, what we celebrated really speaks to the great work that our instructional leaders, our school-based leaders, our curriculum and instructional leaders, as well as our teachers, our classroom teachers are doing on a daily basis as it relates to supporting strong instructional practices and elevating uh, the teaching process as it relates to students. We have a slide deck. Are we able to get, get that going? And tonight we're gonna utilize the front table, which we haven't utilized in a very, very long time. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Brett. And if you advance, perfect. So what you will see this evening with the presentations, what you'll hear this evening, is a framework for the structures that drive the instructional processes and decision-making at the school level. You will also see a pre-K-12 alignment in our instructional work through the presentation of these plans, we'll also touch on the four areas here that are outlined as our objectives. You'll see an alignment to the strategic plan. You'll see how each goal supports a focus area. You'll get an, a better understanding of how our schools or how and why our schools selected the three focus areas um, that are most relevant to their school's needs. And then we'll also talk about our data-driven decision-making as it relates to being a driving force behind the decisions that we're making and why we choose to focus on specific areas. So on behalf of Dr. Noonan, myself, and the rest of the leadership team, we'd like to to thank the following school-based instructional leaders for not only presenting this evening, but for also developing or leading the development and the implementation of these school action plans. We will have them as they come up um, also share their name and their title and, and their school location, but I would be remiss if I didn't first um, share these names uh, publicly and uh, verbally. At uh, JTP, Amanda Davis and Lauren Carpell will share uh, this evening. At Mount Daniel, Principal Tim Kasich, Lindsey Covey, Katie Reardon, Larkin Epstein, and Lauren Carpell will share this evening. For Oak Street, we have Kareem Doherty, 
principal, and Carrie Checa, Katie Reardon, Larkin Epstein, and Lauren Carpell. For Mary Ellen Henderson, we will have Steve Pickering, Crystal Gensel, Leah Partridge, Sia Bryant, Sarah Leahy, and Lauren Carpell. Oh, I'm sorry, Lauren, Lauren Carpell was, I just was on a roll with Lauren Carpell being on every other list, so I apologize for that. Um, and if we have folks who aren't here, just please know that they were very instrumental in developing and leading this, this process, and we were relying on them to also help to implement this process. So I think I was finally at Meridian. So Associate Principal Peter Laub, Matt Sowers, Rob Carey and Josh Singer. So we want to uh, thank them for all of their work on this project and implementing through, through the school year. And with that, we would like to invite our IB coordinators to the front so they can kick us off. We're going to the desk. Yes. You're going to the desk. All right. All right. <laughs> Are you sitting? Sit. <laughs> I have to be up here forever. So. <laughs> Good evening. Um, my name is Lauren Carpell, and I am the PYP coordinator representing Jesse Thackeray Preschool, Mount Daniel Elementary, and Oak Street Elementary. And I'm Josh Singer. I'm the IB Diploma Program Coordinator at Meridian High School. Uh, we're up here presenting also on behalf of our uh, middle years program counterpart, Dr. Rory Dippold, and our career-related program counterpart, uh, Mr. Will Snyder, who cannot be with us here tonight. And we're honored to have this opportunity to kick off tonight's school action plan presentation uh, because truly in FCCPS, all students are IB students. So tonight you'll hear about lots of different goals amongst our schools um, and some of them are aligned to different areas of the strategic plan but we're just here to kind of set the stage that really all of our goals are driven by the idea that we are a full IB pre-K through 12 school continuum and so that all of our goals really align with the IB philosophy of our students being lifelong learners and critical thinkers and caring global citizens. I'm gonna stay up here so Ms. Davis can join me. <laughs> everyone. I would also like to introduce one of our fabulous JTP teachers, Mrs. Nora Rosenberger. Nora also has uh, children in our system that are currently attending and who have also graduated from our system and she's one of our esteemed colleagues and as we talk about goal number one, um, Nora has also been a champion of our first goal. Last year one of the things that we implemented was home visits. Um, 
here at Jesse Thackeray Preschool. And home visits is an early childhood best practice. Um, it provides high family engagement to support the healthy social, emotional, and academic well-being of children and families. And each home visit has its own unique aspects, but in general, home visits are conducted as one-on-one -on -one interactions between the teacher, paraprofessional, and parents, and it's also there to support one another. And studies have been shown that home visits impact child development, school readiness, and positive parenting practices. And I'm going to turn it over to Mrs. Rosenberger to talk about a few of the home visits she conducted last year. So we were really excited to um, be able to implement home visits last year. And I think some of our parents were a little, it was a little nerve-wracking, like, why are you coming into, you know, what, what is this about? And then realizing that we are really there um, to listen and to play and to um, kind of make that connection between home and school. So um, it was really nice to be able to go into homes and to visit all of our children and to to get to know a little bit about their background and some of the things that they have had exposure to and um, experiences with. And um, we were often, when we were invited in, we'd be offered snacks or uh, tea that was, you know, maybe something that was cultural for them. So making that that connection and, and building that trusting relationship between the school and the home. Um, I think by the time we left everyone's home, the parents were really, they were really great. They were really excited that we had come. They were very um, thankful and way more um, just engaged through through email and newsletters and willingness to come into the classroom. Um, and our children were so excited. They would often say the next day, oh, Miss Nora and Miss Fisher came to my house. And um, we were able to just start communication and make connections. Oh, when we went to this friend's house, we saw they have a bunk bed. And this friend also sleeps in a bunk bed with her sister. And just start a conversation and make connections among our, our students and with our families. And um, like Amanda said, studies have shown that starting that that family engagement really early um, has shows enhancement with social, emotional, and cognitive development. It helps with attendance later in school. And um, when we start it in early childhood, it often shows that families stay engaged throughout their children's uh, schooling. And obviously, it fits well with our um, wellness, equity, and belonging. If you feel like you belong in a community and in a school system, then you're more likely to to want to be engaged. Thank you, Nora. And as Nora said, um, wellness, equity, equity, and belonging being our goal number one, not only do we have our home visits, which we are continuing this school year, we also are a participant as we were um, last school year and continued into this school year, being a part of Ready Regions and their extended family council. Um, their family council is comprised of other um, representatives from each locality in Northern Virginia, and then we are tasked with creating a smaller family council here at JTP. So I'm working with um, my cohorts in Arlington, Alexandria, and Fairfax, along with our uh, Fairfax County Public Schools, and along with our Ready Regions uh, grantee, who's Office for Children um, in Fairfax County government. And so 
a part of our family council is really being able to build upon that database of resources that are here in Northern Virginia, um, resources such as Homestretch. Homestretch not only is housed here in Falls Church City, but they also serve families out in our greater localities as well. So working with Homestretch and with our Ready Regions to compile more of a robust uh, resources for our database for parents, which we are working more closely with and having that completed by the end of the 2024 school year. As we transition into goal number two, I'm happy to sit next to Lauren. And Lauren will talk about our IB infused teaching and learning um, in our pre-K classrooms. Wonderful. So our goal from last year has shifted because the goal last year was focused on getting Jesse Thackeray authorized as an IB school, which now we are, which is fantastic. And we're happy to be a part of the continuum. So this year we're focusing on continuing to build that IB infusion in our pre-K classrooms. And we're doing that by having collaborative meetings with our teachers where we're infusing IB philosophy and PYP into all aspects of the curriculum and really working on aligning the IB philosophy with the readiness, the kindergarten readiness standards that already exist. Um, additionally, we're doing some job embedded professional development throughout the year for our pre-K teachers. We have new two new pre-K teachers this year and so making sure that they feel confident in the classroom and ready to infuse all the IB things is really really important. And then when uh, we did that authorization visit, we had a program development plan that was put into place. And so all of our teachers are working on embedding the learner profile through read-alouds, through different activities they're doing, and also sending that information home to our families so that they understand that how Ivy lives at Jesse Thackeray. Thank you, Lauren. Back to you. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, before I transition to goal number three, I also want to thank uh, Carrie Checa, who has now transitioned to her role as Oak Street Assistant Principal. Um, she truly was the fire behind the torch to get uh, us authorized at JTP for IB. And so now that that torch has been passed on to Lauren, I just want to tell Carrie, I tell her that all the time, but I just want to publicly put it out there. I love and appreciate her and thank her for all of her work at Jesse Thackeray Preschool. Goal number three, <clears throat> excuse me, investing in our people. And so JTP is continuing to um, invest in our staff. Well, this school year, as Lauren mentioned, we hired two new staff members to our um, to our building and all of our teachers are continuing again to be um, members of NAEYC, which is the National Association for the Education of Young Children. This school year, we also have a new child find coordinator. She's not new to Falls Church City, but she's new to the role and that's Mary Manzione. And Mary fits this role perfectly because not only is she our wonderful um, speech pathologist, but she's also there as our like boots on the ground in-house person to really be there when our teachers, Nora, Susan, um, Angelica, Jeannie and Kira all sit to the table for um, a child find. Mary is there getting things organized, meeting with families, compiling all of the pre-data that's needed, and then really being able to coordinate how our child find process moves forward. 
Um, in addition to investing in our people, this school year there was a grant submitted um, and hopefully we will know the results from the Virginia Department of Education by the end of 2023 to um, apply for the Early Childhood Special Education Assistance Grant to assist one of our teachers with completing the necessary coursework um, to transition from being a provisionally licensed early childhood special education teacher to a fully licensed early childhood special education teacher. Um, that grant application opened a week ago and so it was submitted um, last week so fingers crossed um, as we hope to hear some more positive news um, as far as receiving that grant. And then also investing in our um, teachers is that we have funding to send another new uh, one of our new pre-k teachers to that Virginia Northern uh, Virginia National Association for Education of Young Children conference that is in Roanoke um, in March of next year. So, thank you. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. Uh, any questions or comments from the board? I'll just say I love the home visits. I think it's especially with Jesse Thackeray, a lot of the families are brand new to Falls Church City Public Schools. So we don't really have a, a ongoing relationship. And I know um, from my own friends who work in special education and, and work with early childhood students, it's very important to see what's going on in the house and how we can support families and they can, um, you know, re reinforce what we're teaching in the classroom. So thank you very much. All right, well, thank you so much, Jesse Thackeray. Thank you. Okay, and at this time, we'll have Principal Kasich and his team come up and share their plan. Chair Downs, Vice Chair Gould, and members of the board, Dr. Noonan, uh, thank you for allowing us this opportunity to update you on year two of our school action plan. Uh, this past June, we met as a school leadership team to reflect on our goals after one year, and we found that we had a lot of areas to celebrate. For example, uh, we have built solid structures for our teams, like using tight agendas, really letting data drive our decision making creating a master schedule that allowed for more teacher collaborative time, and utilizing our early release Wednesdays for cross-departmental collaboration and professional learning. We identified our next steps and further growth opportunities to help our students, and tonight, where we plan to share what we are doing and what that looks like on more of a day-to-day -day basis. Because our focus is always continuous improvement and continuing to grow. So you'll see that our goals are the same as last year, but we've added some additional strategic actions that members of the team will um, identify and share with you tonight. So goal number one reads that by June of 2024, Mount Daniel will have built, sustained, and maintained a comprehensive and accessible tiered model of systemic support for physical and emotional well-being, mental health, 
and security and safety. So to talk a little bit about what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, Mrs. Covey will, will share that information with you all. So one of the pieces we've adopted last school year is Komochi's, which is a social-emotional learning program that teaches children real-life skills, such as how to identify what their feelings are and to express those emotions. It helps with self-regulation as children are able to identify how they're feeling beyond just mad, sad, but frustrated, worried, disappointed. Um, our counselors have been working collaboratively with our kindergarten teams so that it's a part of the Tier 1 instruction for our kindergarten teachers to do and have purchased kits um, for each each of the kindergarten teachers that has little um, little characters for the kimochis and they have little emotions that they put into them so that kids can identify those feelings. We also have those in the counseling setting and the office setting so that when kids are feeling different emotions they're able to use that to kind of express that. Um, we also have weekly, weekly counseling lessons occurring at kindergarten and bi-weekly counseling lessons happening with our first and second grade classrooms. Um, additionally, one thing we've really dived in heavily this year is Responsive Classroom, which we're grateful that you all funded for JTP, Mount Daniel, and Oak Street. Um, it's a four-day intensive training, full school days, so we had to get really creative on when we provided those options for staff. Um, but at the end of this school year, we'll have 37 staff members from Mount Daniel fully trained in that first course of Responsive Classroom. Um, so with that, Responsive Classroom, it's a student-centered social and emotional learning approach to teaching and to discipline. Um, as far as people who've been trained, we're excited it involves um, classroom teachers, paraeducators, special education teachers, um, ESOL teachers, counselors, our Encore teachers, so it really goes you know, across our full community. We also, as far as implementation, we start with a welcoming community as, students, as soon as we welcome students out of the car, but a lot of it is welcoming students each morning by name, morning meetings that happen each day where students are greeted and have an opportunity to share, um, goes to teacher language, which is clear and kind, providing students with academic choices, um, responsive classroom has responsive discipline where it's logical consequences and natural consequences and learning from um, mistakes. Um, our participants were so excited that participated in the summer that they asked Tim and me, they reached out, they wanted to start a responsive classroom committee at Mount Daniel where they could really, they met actually for the first time this morning at 8 a.m. Um, to really provide resources and ideas um, for our staff so we can have that school-wide. So. And one of the outcomes that came out of that meeting is they want to do a school-based RC newsletter um, and find ways to uh, share some of the responsive classroom language and strategies with the full staff when we have those opportunities. So for example, on October 18th, that's when we have our next full staff meeting. Um, and there's going to be opportunities for, for folks on that committee to, to lead the, the rest of the staff through different responsive classroom activities and strategies. So to, to do that basic modeling for our teachers. Then our goal number two is around IB-infused teaching and learning. By June of 2024, students at Mount Daniel will demonstrate the development of the IB approaches to learning as evidenced by assessments, portfolios, and the new report card. And the approaches to learning include thinking skills, research skills, communication skills, social skills, and self-management skills. And Ms. Carpell will speak to the work we're doing around that. Wonderful. So uh, Lindsay mentioned responsive classroom earlier, and so one of our strategic actions <coughs> is to kind of make some of those connections between the things that teachers are learning in responsive classroom and the IB philosophy with those approaches to learning skills. Responsive classroom really supports communication skills, social skills, and self-management skills 
scale. So it's it's really a, a match made in IB heaven. Um, so we're really glad that that's being rolled out. Uh, the next thing we're going to be working on is aligning our portfolio practices to really sh have students show evidence of their mastery and conceptual understanding and also a reflection component where they're talking about how they're embedding learner profile in, in approaches to learning skills in their school day. And then finally, something new that we're doing this year is using our collaborative planning time and actually combining our PYP meetings with our language arts meetings. Um, and that's been really, really wonderful to help us make more authentic PYP connections throughout the entirety of the curriculum. So the teachers are really making connections with the students across language arts, social studies, sciences, maths, talking about things like key concepts um, and some of the other pieces of, of PYP and we're able to have really organic collaborative conversations in that planning time. Goal three for Mount Daniel is investing in our people and that states uh, that by June of 2024, teachers will implement evidence-based literacy curriculum instruction and resources to create an explicit and systematic instructional model that encompasses the essential components of literacy. The new curriculum will be introduced and implemented in 2024-25 school year. So to kind of talk us through some of our strategic actions, um, we have Ms. Reardon. Hi, good evening. Um, hopefully you all know that we have been participating in all sorts of professional development leading us to this new literacy curriculum, law, all of those things the next school year in 24-25. Um, as Lauren said, we'll continue our bi-weekly bi collaborative planning and this year infusing the IB into it. So we're taking all of our new learning at Mount Daniel, our Orton-Gillingham, which I'll talk about in a second, um, the, the letters training the teachers have done and look at their scope and sequence and see how we can meld those two things together when we sit down with teachers on all grade levels. It allows us to not only ensure fidelity, but also that every student um, is getting the best education that we can provide a little bit ahead of the curve as we get into this new instruction. Um, we, like I said, we've been doing a lot of professional development. Almost all of the teachers at Mount Daniel will be Orton-Gillingham certified or trained at the end of this year, um, which has been a huge lift and a tremendous amount of work for our teachers, but we're seeing the impacts already. So we're gonna continue using our planning meetings and our Wednesdays to make sure that all of our teachers are supported in that learning. Um, this year we're gonna focus a lot of our planning time or more planning time on getting much better at looking at our data. We started our data dialogues last year. We're to continue those, looking at all of our kids, like Julie said in the video, by name and by need, who needs um, a little bit more in our tier two support, how are we supporting in our tier one. Um, so we're gonna do that. And then we're just gonna keep moving forward to see what next year has for us, looking for a new curriculum and getting ready to provide that professional development for our teachers. Thank you. And because um, we have a lot of content areas that are all very important, the state doesn't like to slow down. There's new standards, it feels like, every year and everything. So uh, Ms. Epstein will share a little bit about what's happening in the world of math. Hi, good evening. Um, we are also getting new math standards um, here in Virginia next. will be fully implemented next year, um, and we're focusing on some of the more important standards this year a little bit. And actually last week we met with our math curriculum teacher leaders that we have one at each grade level, um, kindergarten to fifth grade. 
and we really dove into those standards and decided on what are going to be some priorities we're going to focus on this year. Um, so we'll continue to focus on that through our collaborative meetings. We're also doing data dialogues similar to literacy where we're looking at student data and seeing where we need to focus our instruction and updating our report card standards um, next year. So, so as you can hear and see, there's a lot of work happening at Mount Daniel, and we are happy to take any questions you may have. Thank you so much. Any questions or comments? Yes, Richard Gould. Uh, the responsive classroom, I think uh, the community is excited about that. I think there's obviously there's a lot of uh, research and a lot of excitement about having that training. You said there's 37 teachers trained. What's the expectation for all the teachers being trained in terms of timeline and other training in terms of the pipeline of them being the, enrolled? The timeline is difficult to nail down. Um, we're working closely with Responsive Classroom to identify um, opportunities for our staff um, that fit with times our staff are available. Um, so we're just going to keep on um, looking at those opportunities. They haven't released their professional learning uh, calendar for the uh, for the next spring and summer, um, but we are just going to stay in contact with them. Mrs. McCreen has been outstanding at kind of being that liaison between us at the school level and, and our friends over at Responsive Classroom. Great. But uh, in the next couple of years, I would love to have 100% trained. Okay. And all the funding for that has already been taken care of? Or is that, is that so we need to talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to ask that question. <laughs> Stay tuned. Okay. Fair enough. We're, we're committed to funding it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no questions or comments. Hi, uh, rem you were talking about Orton, Orton Gillingham. How many? So the majority of the teachers are trained in that now. All of our at Mount Daniel, 100% of the classroom teachers have been trained. Our final two are in training right now. That's amazing. I remember uh, back years ago when I was on the PTA, I think there were maybe like five teachers. And I remember uh, Mount Daniel coming to the PTA and also the Ed Foundation for, for money to fund. So it's just amazing when you see, you know, the different organizations coming. I know obviously the school system picked up a lot of the cost of that training, but Kudos to you all. That's that's. I know that is really the gold standard. So terrific. The staff has truly been amazing at embracing the professional learning around the science of reading, and it's just it's been a game changer for so many of our students. That's that's great. And I know I, I've been following too. I know when standards come down from the state or new ways to teach literacy, I know that means a ton of work for you all. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. Good job, team. Okay, well, thank you, Mount Daniel team, and we will invite Principal Doherty and the Oak Street team to present their school action plans. Chair Downs, Vice Chair Gould, uh, school board members, and Dr. Noonan. Um, our team is comprised of Lauren Carpell and Katie Reardon, uh, Larkin Epstein, and Carrie Checa, our assistant principal. We're here tonight to revisit our two-year plan, and so our goals have not changed, uh, but we have um, added some additional strategic items. And so you'll see that for our first goal, 
It remains that grade level teams will evaluate and improve instructional processes to ensure equitable access of highly effective instruction for all third through fifth grade students through the implementation of weekly collaborative planning cycles. And so Katie Reardon, our literacy specialist, and Larkin Epstein will talk to you a little bit about the great work our teams are doing around that. And our second goal, uh, Oak Street grade level teams will demonstrate their use of research-based instructional practices and an inclusive global lens, providing choice and actively engaging students in learning and service through consistent collaborative opportunities to share implementation of PYP across content areas. And that's, uh, you'll see lots of action items there. And Lauren Carpel will talk to you all about that. Goal three, Oak Street will sustain and maintain a comprehensive and accessible tiered model that provides systemic support for physical well-being, emotional mental health, and security and safety. And so Carrie and I will talk to you about the great work our student services team is doing to support our students there. So first, I'll have Katie Reardon and Larkin Epstein lead the way for goal number one. Hi. Um, similar to Mount Daniel, teams are continuing to meet weekly to collaboratively plan for math instruction. Um, and teams are able to meet to best meet, meet student needs through differentiated instruction and planning for it. Teams can create common assessments and we're able to look and analyze that student data to see how we need to um, tweak our instruction. And in order to provide that highly effective, equitable instruction, teachers and specialists plan for not only opportunities for reteaching intervention in math instruction, but also that extension and enrichment. Um, and we're able to really reflect on our instructional practices during those meetings. Hi, again. <laughs> Similarly to what I said for Mount Daniel, um, we have fused our PYP and our IB collaborative, uh, no, I'm sorry, our language arts and our IB planning during the same weekly planning at Oak Street. So they're doing it at Mount Daniel and at Oak Street together to continue the con uh, continuum. We'll, we will do all the same things that Ms. Epstein talked about. We're gonna look at student data, we're gonna look at pacing, we're gonna make sure that all of our kids in third, fourth, and fifth are having an equitable education at Oak Street, wh whatever class they're in. And we're also gonna make sure that we are teaching not thematically, but in infuse the best that we can with all of our subject areas. Um, we will also spend time planning with our special ed individuals and our ESL teachers to make sure that all of our special populations, teachers and anyone who supports those individuals are in a part of those meetings and a part of the planning so everyone is supported and everyone is getting the best education that we can provide during those times. And so for goal number two, we've got Lauren Carpell who will talk to us about the professional development as well as the collaborative planning practices we have in place. And I promise this is the last time I'm talking tonight. <laughs> um, so similarly to Mount Daniel, uh, to work on that vertical articulation piece, uh, we are also having, as Katie mentioned, our combined ELA and PYP meetings. We are also working on aligning our portfolio practices at Oak Street, so that's something that we're gonna be working on throughout the year, again, to have kids show their conceptual understanding and mastery of skills. Additionally, staff is, uh, we're using our collaborative 
time and our team leads will be working on that vertical articulation piece, examining data and looking at how PYP can support uh, all of the testing and scores and, and things that we have. Um, and then the final piece is we have our job embedded professional development on our short Wednesdays. Uh, staff is, all staff are participating in uh, PYP focused professional development to continue our growth in learning in IB. Uh, because in IB they give you a two day workshop and they send you on your way and say good luck you're an IB teacher. And as we know that theory and practice are very different things and so I'm working to support the teachers on continuing their IB practices. Um, and then also our teachers are getting to choose an area of focus. A lot of them are doing building thinking classrooms, book studies, ELA book studies, and collaborating with each other as professionals to continue uh, to grow their practice. Thank you. So for goal three, uh, that's where we talk about our multi-tiered system of support. So. Um, a few years back, Katie Reardon started the practice of um, our multi-tiered system of support, or MTSS, and uh, that team is only getting stronger. That MTSS team is made up of both administrators, the school um, psychologist, the school social worker, both counselors, the literacy specialist, the math specialist, and the behavior specialist. So there's a lot of rich dialogue that goes on once a week where we, every other week, we talk about student academic progress, where are they, what else do they need, is the intervention working, um, and that's where we decide, do they need more than just tier one or tier two instruction, um, which would then be tier three. And uh, then every other week we talk about their social emotional well-being. So we talk about our little ones and how are they doing, how are they functioning, are they, do they need a little bit more support, um, is it social? Is it their social interactions where they're needing a little bit more support and who's going to provide that support? What's it going to look like? And how are we going to measure that process, that progress? So um, like Kareem said, we have our, our MTSS team and our student services team and um, we reflect on the student needs and address those through counseling lessons, small group lessons, and some individual targeted instruction. And some of those topics include um, self-regulation and mindfulness, friendships, we have friendship groups, lunch bunches, um, self-advocacy, teaching kids how to advocate for themselves, feelings identification, problem solving, and peer conflicts. Um, our counselors also work with the parents but to identify um, the needs of, of our parents and so they send out a, a, a survey every year about topics that they're interested in. So last year um, they covered topics such as taming the drama, um, parenting kids who worry, and executive fun functioning. And this year some of the topics will be cooper cooperation in the home and improving sibling dynamics. In addition, they also offer um, opportunities for parents to participate in book clubs. And we have our first one coming up on November 8th where um, they're going to be doing a book study on um, Family Firm. Um, last year they did um, some book studies um, for Good Inside, When You Wonder, You're Learning. 
Um, other ways that we keep parents informed is through um, the Counseling Corner newsletter, which connects what they're doing in their counseling lessons um, to home, and then also participating in the Principal's Coffee, which we have one this Friday, where they'll um, teach parents about zones of regulation. Um, additionally, last year, thanks to you, we were able to begin training our teachers in responsive classrooms. Sadly, many of our teachers were so excited they immediately wanted to sign up for the June dates um, while um, our fabulous Julie Macrina continued to work with responsive classroom to offer um, multiple opportunities here in Falls Church City Public Schools. Unfortunately, responsive classroom was not as cooperative and they canceled some of those classes. So uh, by the end of this school year we will have 18 teachers but it's not for a lack of interest it was simply their classes got canceled um, but Julie McCreen has been working very closely with responsive classroom and we actually brought in um, responsive classroom trainers into Falls Church City to um, work with us during um, pre-teacher week this August um, additionally during teacher work days this year so thank you for supporting that our teachers are committed and we're very excited to move forward um, additionally Zones of regulation, so we talked a little bit about it last year during Principal Coffees. Zones of regulation has been around for a while, but what we're doing at Oak Street is we are um, uh, very similarly to Mount Daniel with the Kamochis, which is more for primary age students. Uh, we are using zones of regulation as a tier one, so all of our students are learning how to identify how they're feeling using colors and uh, to identify those feelings and a uh, attached to those colors are strategies uh, for how to work out those feelings and so if you want to know more during our principal coffee this Friday our um, counselors Michelle Goldberg and Yolanda Adams will talk a little bit about that so they have begun the work with the students they've offered up professional development opportunities to teachers as well so that teachers are comfortable using the language and using the student-friendly poster um, to go with all of, all of those feelings and that there are no bad feelings, they're just feelings. Um, how we choose to act upon them, that's a different story. Um, but thank you for listening and we're available for any questions you might have. Thank you so much. Any questions or, yes, Ms. Silverman. Thank you very much for that presentation. Um, I have really enjoyed a lot of, uh, as being a parent of an Oak Street student, I've really enjoyed getting a lot of um, material and emails from uh, Ms. Goldberg about all the programming she's offering. And I've attended some of these Zooms in the evening, which I thought were, were fantastic. And it was great to see so many parents there who possibly have the same struggles I do, which was, which made me feel more comfortable in my own shoes. Um, you did mention the, the parent coffees, and maybe this is more of a question for Dr. Noonan, and it just, it's something I've been thinking about. I know that there are Fridays um, in mid-morning, is that correct? Uh, no, first thing in the morning, it's just right after arrival. Okay. So parents can find parking. Got it, okay. Um, are those ever streamed or um, possible to access at a later time if people can't attend in person? Um, and then also uh, kind of on those same th that same thought process, are they ever offered in, um, in Spanish or are they translated at all if we are able to stream them? 
So we can definitely look at streaming them and we can look at translating in person. I am happy to translate in Spanish as needed. And uh, if we have any needs for any other languages, we can certainly um, look into that as well with the support of Dr. Santiago. Yeah, I, you know, listening to Mr. Kasich tonight, you know, with class tag, um, I remember a few meetings ago when class tag was discussed and I'm thinking, what's the point of class tag? I get these emails and I can read them. Why do I have to go through class tag? And then it was explained to me the the benefit of having class tag available in, in many different languages. And I thought that was just an, an amazing asset that we have. And I think that some of the topics of these parent coffees are another great asset. And just to make it available to all parents um, and so they can watch it at their own convenience might be really helpful. And uh, again, along those lines, if possible, I, again, I don't know the cost in this, I don't know the um, capacity to do this, but just having it in other language also might be just a benefit. No, thank you for that. I'm actually thinking about a few ideas behind that because I'm thinking about when, you know, long ago when we all had to go virtual, how we worked on how we could record um, some um, presentations and make it accessible for translation services. So let me work with our okay. department. I don't mean to add Dr. stuff to your plate, but no, thank you. No, that's fine. I think it's a matter of just opening up and making it more accessible. And I think it's also useful to be able to go back even if you were there present, in, mm -hmm. in present, right, in person, it's good to go back and see uh, what you might not have taken notes on because you want to go back and uh, understand it a little bit better. So let me look into that. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We also have some options. Um, a couple, I think it was last year, um, the Ed Foundation provided us with two sets of um, headsets that we provided, for example, to our staff at Convocation, and there was immediate translation through the headsets in multiple languages um, and we also use language line and the nice thing about zoom now is that zoom when it's streamed actually will do immediate translation as well so we have the technology um, to potentially do that um, but we certainly could also look at utilizing some of those headsets that we have and having um, some of our resource folks even from the family resource center or our parent liaisons do some um, more uh, simultaneous translation um, through the headsets as well. So there are lots of options. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. And, and just, you know, um, I, I think another important part of this would be translation through the streaming. Um, so that if somebody that doesn't, English is not their first language, and if they're watching it at 8 p.m., can get that translated material, if that's possible. Right, that, that's the beauty of Zoom, being able to be translated now. Perfect. Um, so, uh, and it'll close caption as well. Awesome, great, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Any other questions or comments? I have a comment. I, I, before they, the, the two people at the table leave, I want to just give them a shout out. The first is Katie Reardon and the second is Larkin Epstein for their incredible support um, uh, and chipping in this year and helping with the fourth grade. You have um, stabilized uh, a situation that was um, challenging and we are very much appreciative of your, your work and your support. Thank you. said, Dr. Noonan. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Ms. Carpell, you can finally get up. And <laughs> Thank you all. Okay, great. So we'll have our secondary team. 
with Associate Principal Laub and Associate Principal Pickering and their teams. We're going to come up together. We have to rearrange the furniture. A okay. Let's. We're a big team. Sorry, guys. More? What do you mean more? There's. Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> but like we're going to be on the one, we'll be all the same way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I feel like my dad. Flashlights on. Anyone else want to tell me my lights on? <laughs> Flashlights on. Um, good evening, uh, school board, Dr. Noonan. Thank you all for uh, having us here tonight. Um, I'm Peter Laub, and I'm the associate, associate principal at Meridian High School. And I'm Steve Pickering. I'm the associate principal at Mary Ellen Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while Steve and I are new to our positions, um, just as we uh, shared, just as was shared to you last year, these are two-year goals. And um, so while tonight you will see the tweaks that we have made, we remain on the same pathway toward achieving these two-year goals. Yeah, and we spent a lot of time uh, thinking about how our goals connected to the strategic action plan, which is the video you saw, and what work we were already doing to prepare, um, prepare for doing the important work of continuing that strategic strategic action plan. We did, again, make some slight tweaks to our goals, um, which we will express in more depth as we go through the presentation. Um, notably, goals one and three, oh, there we go, okay. Notably, goals one and three are consolidated. Um, we brought a large team here to discuss what our goals are because we are all involved in this work. Yeah, and uh, so goal one, you'll see up there, is going to combine two of the uh, elements of the strategic action plan, those being uh, IB-infused teaching and learning, as well as investing in our people. Um, uh, we want to work with teachers to help them take their next step, and that's the big phrase that we're, we're going to try to use is, what's your next step? What's the next step you need to take? Because just like students, all teachers are on a different path, and they need to take their own next step in the journey. Uh, and we're going to try to help give them the uh, latitude to make that next step instructionally to provide students with more agency. And when we use that term agency, we mean more voice and choice in their learning. Um, so that they can take their next step as well. Goal two, um, that looks again the same as what you saw last year. Um, it involves building a comprehensive, vertically aligned six through 12 social emotional learning program that helps to foster wellness, equity, and belonging. Um, our teams are gonna explain a little more about how we're achieving those uh, first two. And so now we will turn it over to our teams. So I get the privilege of starting us off by looking at goal one uh, and talking about some of the things that remain the same uh, in goal one as we tweaked it from last year and talking about some of the reasons why we affected change within this goal um, and, and uh, a little bit as to what changed as well. So 
when we're talking about goal one, again, picking up where Peter and Steve left off, really we're talking about strategies that are all related to promoting student agency. And as a learning organization up at the secondary campus, we really dove into what are the most effective things that we can do to support students in finding agency, that voice and that choice in their studies. So what stayed the same? Uh, we're focusing on the student experience. Departments are continuing to collaborate uh, from a 6-12 lens on skills that are needed for students to succeed within those subject areas and disciplines. Um, we're providing opportunities uh, for our staff uh, to engage in vertical collaboration, uh, utilizing our early release times on those monthly basis for such uh, department work. Um, we are continuing to prioritize uh, student agency and then as you'll hear when we get to goal two, uh, continuing to prioritize uh, student belonging in our schools. Um, and just making sure that, you know, when this work is happening, that it's happening during our teachers' paid instructional days, ensuring that they have the time they need to engage in this kind of sometimes heavy, sometimes uh, uh, thinking heavy work um, while, while they're still here under contract. So why do we make some changes? Um, we listen to feedback. Uh, when we were engaged in professional learning last year, we received feedback from the staff on an ongoing basis. What was working? What wasn't working? Um, and when we combine that with the results from professional learning needs assessments uh, that we uh, gave out to our staff and, and the direct feedback we got from our instructional leaders, uh, we decided that the best course of action really was to kind of merge goals one and three. Uh, so what changed, you can see up on the boards to the side, uh, is that we've really broadened the scope of goal one. Whereas goal one used to focus on a specific skill that departments would vertically uh, align with the end goal of promoting student agency, we've now moved student agency to the front. So as a uh, 612 campus, we're now focusing on enhancing student agency. And the way we're gonna do that is through our personalized uh, professional learning. Recognizing in the feedback that we got from our, our amazing staff that a one-size-fit-all model doesn't work. And that who best knows the learning they need to do in order to move their students along than the teachers that are there in the classroom with those, uh, with those students. Um, so on that note, I'm going to uh, kick it over to, to Sarah Leahy, who's going to talk a little bit more about the details. So I'm Sarah Leahy. I'm the math specialist at Henderson, and I'm a member of our instructional support team. And so to build on what Josh said, we are really asking our teachers and staff to engage in self-selected, personalized professional learning on those early release Wednesdays. Um, we will work in cohorts, so teachers will be a part of a cohort that meets multiple times over the course of the year to really focus on building their capacity to meet their needs of their students. Um, we've got some interdisciplinary groups meeting, so um, individuals and societies teachers meeting with math teachers, meeting with Lang and Lit teachers, and then we have some sort of content-specific groups that are meeting, so we've got a nice combination of groups that are meeting. Some of the cohort topics that we're, that we're working on are supporting our multilingual learners, preparing students for success on the DP internal assessments, co-teaching best practices. Um, in all, I think we're up to about 18 or 19 different topics and cohorts that are happening that teachers have been able to select from so that they're really getting learning that they feel like is right fit for them. Um, <clears throat> we are also using that time on the early release Wednesdays to continue the six to 12 vertical planning work that we started last year. We're working to align our instructional practices from 6th through 12th grade 
in uh, an effort to continue to build student development of uh, the IB approaches to learning in critical thinking, organization, communication skills. So each department has sort of developed a goal last year and they'll continue to build on that goal this year, um, really focusing on embedding those practices, identifying evidence of students <laughs> learning within those practices, and then um, really reflecting on their own practice and continuing to build from there. All right, before I get started with uh, goal number two, I'm excited for tomorrow. Um, I know myself, I am leading one of those uh, early release professional developments for evaluating threat assessment protocols at the secondary level with Colleen Hoover. So I'm glad you uh, teed that up there. Um, <laughs> my name is Matt Sowers. I'm the counseling director um, at the uh, secondary schools. I'm here tonight to highlight a lot of similarities uh, as it relates to our advisory programs. Um, you're going to hear me talk specifically about PAC and STABLE from kind of a mile-high uh, overview, and then I'm going to turn it over to our colleagues here, and they're going to get more into the specifics. So um, given that the mascot in the middle school is a Husky, um, our advisory program is called PAC. Um, so our PAC advisory in the middle school is led by Leah Partridge, and she collaborates with our school counselors, Sia Bryant. And PAC is made up about a short amount of time that meets daily for strategic lessons for our social emotional learning and academic advisement. In the high school, given that our mascot is a, um, a Mustang, we have stable groups. So our stable advisory program is led by Dr. Dippold, uh, Rob Carey, uh, who's with us tonight, Sia Bryant, myself, and Mustang ambassadors, which are our student leaders um, that are supported by the, the club sponsor, Rich Spardos. Um, again, a similarity, those meet daily uh, in, the, in the high school, but on certain dates, it's more of an in-depth discussion, skill building, and academic advisement. Our focus uh, continues as we move into year two uh, is uh, really solely on relationship building as well as skill building, which are core components of our advisory program. Next, you're going to hear a little bit from Sia, Knight, or Sia Bryant, our Assistant Director of Secondary School Counseling. She's also a member of our Health and Wellness Committee. Uh, Sia's going to highlight some of the work that occurred over the summer through the curriculum writing piece um, and the SEL audit that she did with Alana Reyes over the summer as it directly relates to goal number two. Did I make my time tonight? You did. You did. I don't know if you did. I, so, hello everyone. My name is Sia Bryant. As Mr. Sowers said, and I'm the Assistant Director of Secondary School Counseling. My role tonight, I just want to give some context behind the advisory program and kind of, I don't want to, I want to kind of tee it up for um, Mr. Carey and Leah Partridge who are going to kind of talk a little bit more about the school specific programs, but what I want to kind of talk about is kind of the, how did we get 
the information that we have gotten in order to present to the students, okay? So first of all, I would like to say thank you to the school board for helping to support our curriculum writing efforts over the summer. And what we did was we took some information uh, over the last several years that we've used and painstakingly uh, written curriculum for our pack and stable groups, but we've um, kind of combined it with information from the Positivity Project, which is a research-based program, and we have come up with lessons that will help to foster that connection and the relationship building that we hope to have for our students, um, that they can connect with each other as well as connect with trusted adults in the building. In fact, I'll give just one kind of stat that came from our, one of our post-surveys. I know that we asked the students if you have a trusted adult in the pro in the building in which you can you identify a trusted adult and our statistics rose eight percent from one year to the next and we attribute that because of the work that we've done with our advisory programs with stable with PAC so um, we were very happy to see that and some other um, stats that we'll, we'll share this evening as well um, and so I also want to say that another thing that we've done is we've done an audit of our stable and PAC groups um, as well as really division-wide and we wanted to make sure that our curriculum was in line with the state SEL standards. So we took that information, we took information from the Positivity Project, we took information from our the years past, and that's what we have now. And so Leah Partridge is going to talk a little bit about what our PAC group looks like. Hi, thank you. Uh, I'm Leah Partridge. I am the six to eight uh, PAC coordinator. This is my second year in this role. Um, and so our PAC, we kind of looked at, we, we were talking and we were like, what are our three pillars? And so we talked about community, <coughs> curriculum, and culture being what goes into our PAC lessons. And so uh, our community in the middle school is a little bit different than at the high school. We meet every day uh, for 15 minutes with the same advisor and the same group of students, which gives kids that consistency that they really crave in the middle school, especially as they're coming from a more elementary school where they have one teacher to a middle school with lots of teachers. So that gives us uh, an opportunity to form those connections uh, beyond the academic. And those connections have really helped to provide students with opportunities to see um, relationships build and grow and uh, also include some of the IB approaches to learning through that time um, in the middle school. Hi, I'm Rob Carey. I'm assistant principal of student support and this is my second month as a stable coordinator. <laughs> um, I am co-coordinator with Rory Dippold so we write the curriculum and we get it out to uh, the high school staff and as Leah said um, and we actually uh, kind of coordinated on this community curriculum and culture are kind of our pillars. Um, obviously you see the definition up here that advisory exists first to build relationships connection and second to teach skills. Um, Honestly, you know, our number one goal is that our kids have a comfortable space at school, a comfortable and safe space. And as Sia mentioned, you know, our kids are, are reporting that they are, that they do have a, a trusted adult in the building um, up in the 90%. I know Matt can share some of that data too. Um, but again, you know, if, if anything, we want our kids to feel comfortable and safe. Um, and, and that is kind of our driver when it comes to advisory. 
our curriculum. We're very grateful this year to have um, the resource provided through uh, Positivity Project. We've been able to merge um, the ideas of po Positivity Project with our IB-infused learning through the learner profile. Each month, the secondary school chooses an IB learner profile to spotlight, and we connect our lessons through um, that IB lens. We also teach the ATL skills during that time, which allows us uh, to really engage students in the learning that is outside the academic. Some of the topics we've talked about are things like teamwork, curiosity, um, active listening, which is really important in the middle school, uh, being open-minded, and uh, resilience are some of the topics that we've talked about so far. Um, so I would say between the high school and the middle school, this is kind of our biggest difference. Um, one thing that we've heard over the last couple years from our kids and from our teachers is that we want these to be grade level specific lessons. Um, so obviously in 9th through 12th grade, these are going to be different. These are going to be college and career readiness lessons. Um, these are going to be transitioning from 9th to 10th grade, 10th to 11th, 11th to 12th pathway conversations. Um, so this is, the, we also have the positivity project, but this is also, this is, I would say curriculum is, is probably our most unique um, difference between the middle school and the high school. And our goal is really to make sure uh, our students uh, feel that culture and provide students with opportunities to share their voice. And so the PAC is that real that time each day where kids get to contribute. Um, they share, they connect, they talk to each other, and their PACs often will follow each other up through. So it really does build a great uh, group and culture in, in the, the PAC groups. Yep. You know, culture, we want our kids to be able to see themselves in school. And I think that that is our number one driver when it comes to culture. I do have the opportunity actually to teach a pack and also be a stable coordinator so I get to kind of see both buildings. Um, and, you know, I think, I think if you look at this goal, I think over the last couple of years we've really kind of driven this home. Um, and we, we hope to continue to see growth as well. And so um, just to close, we did want to take a moment to just say a couple of things, words about the AP for Student Support, which is in its second month as in existence. <laughs> um, and it really is a, a position that goes a long way toward addressing our wellness, equity, and belonging um, for all our secondary students. Yeah, and so just so you know, we will be putting in a formalized uh, budget request as we hope to keep this position serving our students long term. Um, and we want to just give you some of the reasons why. It's a role that we see so far as a, a valuable position um, because it's a disruptor of student behaviors, right? Um, so I know, speaking from experience as a high school assistant principal, where that is where your that's your core responsibility. Um, with this position, we have been able to be um, more proactive um, in some of that and to be more restorative on, on the back end as well. That has really helped in a lot of ways. <clears throat> We've also been able to uh, implement data-informed interventions with students uh, and support students in terms of behavioral, social, emotional, attendance, and academic needs. Simply put, uh, most of the greatest interventions that we've been able to do so far with students would not be possible without the position or without someone in a position like that. Um, already, we can track, and I know it's early, but we can track through our student referral rate that the number of repeat offenders is significantly lower at this time than it was at this time last year. So we're seeing huge benefits. And and um, it's been great to see the amazing work that's being done uh, by Mr. Carey through students, uh, with students in his PAC class, which he teaches every day, um, and just the amazing work to uh, put the whole stable program together in a really um, great way. So that's all for our presentation. Did you have any uh, questions for us? 
Well, I'm glad you took this opportunity to uh, sing the praises of Rob Carey. Uh, I, uh, unfortunately, Dr. Dimmick and I won't be on the board when the, the next year's budget is approved, but I have to say to my board members, I'll go ahead and put a plug in. I, I would love for that, sorry, Dr. Noonan, I'm gonna step on your toes here, but I would love for that position to be formalized. I just think um, a lot of it, I think, this also speaks to Rob Carey. Uh, he's one of a kind. He, um, you know, I first met when you were a fourth grade teacher at then uh, TJ, and uh, you know, you've had so many roles and you know so many students, and uh, you know, you really are a person that is not intimidating. You're warm, student. I can totally see students going to you first when they have an issue or a crisis or something. And I think that is just, you know, when we talk about school safety, and often when you hear in the press about things happening, violence happening in schools and did schools see red flags you know it's often we're looking back and you really need to be proactive and I really see this as Rob being proactive and helping students who need help so that we never get to that point so I'll stand I'll get off my soapbox but Mr. Carey your, your first two months are going great so <laughs> thank you uh, any questions or comments from the board I'll jump in. Yes, please. Yeah, I, I, um, it's probably about all all the presentations. I think that one thing that is unique that maybe we take for granted is the fact that obviously all of you are up here in a TV-style Thanksgiving dinner, as Mr. Pickering <laughs> identified. Um, but it is one campus and two different grades. And I think similarly to Ms. Doherty, Mr. Kasich, and Ms. Davis, the three campuses are working very closely together. And we saw that from the presentations that overlapped and the references to, um, to the different schools. I think that's very unique, and I think I, I think we're. I think the community probably takes that for granted. So I think we just need to stop and pause and realize how much our students benefit from that and how much our teachers uh, work within that. And the leadership shows that collaboration. I also note, uh, similar to uh, to Chair Downs's point about the budget, we are entering the budget season. So I know Dr. Noonan and his team are going to be doing um, round robins with the school campuses around getting feedback around the budget. Is that correct? How's that? The, um, the, the budget uh, process has begun at the school site. Um, okay. Our principals have received um, some of the budget tools that we use and we'll be talking with their staff about needs and desires and then those will come back to us and we'll take all of that into consideration as we build our budget. Perfect. So yeah, so any of these type of curriculums or things like that, I mean obviously we, that's, that's our lever is to help out with that and, and we don't have other levers beyond that too much. So yeah, I'd be really appreciate everybody taking time tonight to educate the community. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. Any other questions or comments? I'll just throw out there, uh, Mr. Pickering, I had just, I really liked you, you talking about the sort of action steps and, and growth, talking about teachers taking the next step. I really like that. And then also about the student agency, um, the voice and choice. So I really liked sort of that really, you know, we're not passive, we're getting teacher, we're helping teachers grow, we're helping our students grow. I really uh, appreciate that a lot. And I just have to make a plug for both PAC and Stable. Uh, my sixth grader ran for SCA representative and he won because his whole um, platform was to extend the length of PAC. So <laughs> now, now he's got to, you got to help him as Partridge uh, <laughs> fulfill that campaign promise. Uh, but on the, on the high school side, I will never forget last year uh, at senior night, do y'all remember Mino? Well, you wouldn't, Mr. Pickering, but y'all remember Mino. Um, he graduated and so usually um, on senior night during halftime, the seniors walk down with their families over the field and Mino walked down with his stable group. 
And I just think it says, I mean, it almost chokes me up right now. It just says so much about, you know, I don't know why his family couldn't be there that night, but the fact that he chose a stable group to walk down to, to be honored during senior night, I just think it speaks volumes. So thank you. I just, you know, really PAC and stable group, I think are really this very, very important support network for as our students get older and they really need that, that safety net. So thank you all very much. Any other questions or comments from the board? Well, thank you very much, and thank you to all the administrators and staff here uh, this evening. We know you have an early morning tomorrow, so feel free to, to head home, but thank you. You're welcome to stay as well, but thank you very much. Thank you. at 3.02. Uh, this is the 2023 VSBA Media Honor Roll. And uh, I know I speak for uh, Mr. Brett and Dr. Noonan when I say that a good partnership with the media is just vital for, to the success of our school system. And uh, we submitted uh, three different publications to the Virginia School Board Association uh, to have them be recognized and honored because they do... Uh, great work in terms of getting information out and supporting our school system. And so those three um, awardees this, this evening are the Falls Church News Press, represented by Nick Benton, and the Patch, represented by Emily Lehman. Did I say that right? Is she here, Emily? Okay, is that, is that right? <laughs> Close enough, okay. <laughs> and the lasso, um, which is our student publication, this is actually interesting. When we submitted the lasso to the Virginia School Board Association, they had never had uh, a student publication submitted before. And uh, we said, well, clearly you don't know the lasso. And so uh, this, is, this is a very important part of getting the word out to the students. And uh, so the VSBA came back and said, okay, yes, you can award it to a student publication. And so the lasso this evening is being represented by Abby Crespin. So if we could give these three publications a round of applause. And uh, if the publication representatives could come up and have a picture with the school board, please. Thank you. 
пишем. Thank you very much. Okay. The first timer. All right. One, two. Thank you again. All right. Now we're all back in. Abby, come up. We have uh, quite a few public speakers and we're working our way in the agenda. We have a couple quick resolutions. We're going to read into the record and then we'll be at public comment. Okay. We're at 3.03 uh, resolution 21-20, sorry, 21-23 Bullying Prevention Month. And Ms. Tice, could you please read that resolution into the record? Sure. Uh, whereas school bullying has become an increasingly significant problem in the United States and Virginia, and whereas over 20% of the youth in the United States are estimated to be involved in bullying each year, either as a bully or as a victim, and whereas students who experience bullying are at an increased risk for depression, anxiety, sleep difficulties, lower academic achievement, and dropping out of school, and whereas bullying can take many forms, including verbal, physical, and most recently in cyberspace, and can happen in many places on and off school grounds, and whereas it is important important for Falls Church parents, students, teachers, and school administrators to be aware of bullying and to encourage discussion of the problem as a school community. And whereas as the Falls Church City School Board has developed a policy on anti-bullying to encourage positive behaviors and to eliminate bullying behaviors. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Falls Church City School Board recognizes the month of October 2023 as Bullying Prevention Month with the intention that the issue of bullying and its prevention be discussed in Falls Church City Public Schools during that time. Thank you. If I could have a motion, please, to approve this resolution. Yes, Dr. Anderson. I move that the school board approve and adopt resolution 2123, Bullying Prevention Month, as presented. Thank you. Could I have a second? 
Second. Thank you, Dr. Dimick. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. And we're now at 3.04, Resolution 22-23, Filipino American Heritage Month. And Dr. Gould, could you please read that into the record? John, thanks. Whereas the month of October is recognized as Filipino American Heritage Month, and whereas Falls Church City Public Schools are committed to recognizing and celebrating the diverse cultures represented in our community, staff, and students, and whereas Filipino Americans are the second largest Asian American group in the United States, and whereas Congress first recognized Filipino American Heritage Month in 2009 in commemoration of the first recorded presence of Filipinos in the continental United States on October 18, 1597, and whereas Filipino immigrants are the first recorded Asian Amer immigrants to the United States, and whereas celebrating Filipino American Heritage Month is one way that we can honor the many contributions of Filipino Americans Americans to our schools, our community, and our nation. Now, therefore, it be resolved that the Falls Church City School Board does hereby proclaim October 2023 as Filipino American Heritage Month in Falls Church City Public Schools and urges all to respect and honor our diverse community and celebrate and build a culture of inclusivity and equity. Thank you, Vice Chair Gould. Could I have someone make a motion to approve this resolution? Yes, Dr. Demick. Chair, I move that the school board approve and adopt resolution 22-23, Filipino American Heritage Month as presented. Thank you, Dr. Dimick. Could I have a second? Thank you, Ms. Silverman. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. And now I will be reading um, the Italian American Heritage Month resolution. This is Falls Church City Public School Board Resolution 23-23. And this is the 2023 Italian American Heritage Month. Whereas the month of October is recognized as Italian American Heritage Month, and whereas Falls Church City Public Schools are committed to recognizing and celebrating the diverse cultures represented in our community, staff, and students, and whereas Italian Americans are the seventh largest ethnic group in the United States, and whereas Congress and President George H.W. Bush first recognized Italian American Heritage Month by special proclamation in 1989, and whereas over 5 million Italian immigrants immigrated to the United States between 1820 and the year 2000, and whereas there are currently over 26 million Americans of Italian descent residing in the United States, and whereas celebrating Italian American Heritage Month is one way that we can honor the many contributions of Italian Americans to our schools, our community, and our nation. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Falls Church City Public School Board does hereby proclaim October 2023 as Italian American Heritage Month in Falls Church City Public Schools and urges all to respect and honor our diverse community and celebrate and build a culture of inclusivity and equity. If I could have a motion to approve, yes, Vice Chair Gould. Move that the school board approve and adopt resolution 23-23 Italian American Heritage Month as presented. Thank you, could I have a second? Thank you, Dr. Anderson. All those in favor say yes. Yes, all those opposed say no. Thank you, motion carries. We're now at public comments. Um, this is item four on our agenda, public comments and requests. In accordance with school board policy BDDH, the time for each speaker is limited to three minutes. Additional written statements may be submitted to the clerk for dissemination to board members and for the record. And before we start with the speakers, Ms. Goodell, did we have uh, written comments? Uh, yes, we did, and we actually had written comments from September 12th meeting. We had four. And tonight uh, for this meeting, we received nine public written comments. Okay. 
Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Okay, I'll, I'll call the um, speakers to the podium in the order that they submitted their speaker slip. Um, the first speaker is Jacob Radcliffe. Hello. Uh, thank you all for having me and thank you for your service. Um, it is my understanding that um, the school board is at a critical juncture with respect to renovating the baseball field at Meridian High School. Um, I've lived in Falls Church happily for 10 years and my children have played sports the entire time and that field has been in a state of disrepair for the entire 10 years and it has never been able to be used for any other purpose. Um, and I understand that right now you have the opportunity that you could seize to fix it up and make it so hopefully it can be used for the baseball team and also I would think other uses in the community. Um, it is the worst field the junior varsity boys played on in the last two years, I can say personally. So please consider that and thank you for your help. Thank you, Mr. Radcliffe. Our next speaker is uh, Ms. Paige Greiner. My name is Paige Greiner and I live at 322 Grove F. Um, first of all, let me express my gratitude for each one of you. Uh, you have an enormous amount of time that you need to dedicate to our students and our schools and I thank you very much. I also thank you for the opportunity to speak tonight. I am speaking on behalf of both the Mustang Athletic Booster Association as their president and as a parent of two current baseball players and hopefully one future baseball player at Meridian High School. I was very excited to learn that the much needed renovations of our baseball field are being considered and I knew I had to speak up. As you may or may not know, grass baseball fields, while sometimes preferred by the professionals, are very difficult to maintain and very costly to maintain. Ours has been no different and it currently needs significant work to bring it up to a safe standard for our players and our visiting players and our spectators. I would like to advocate for approving funds to replace our field with a synthetic turf field. I do believe a new turf field in that location will greatly benefit both our baseball playing students as well as our other student athletes and our school division and community as a whole. As it stands, our baseball field takes up a large portion of our athletic campus space and that's something that can't be changed. Baseball fields just require a lot of space. But what we can change is what that space looks like and who can use it. As of right now, a grass field is a huge space and it can really only be used by the baseball team because it needs to be protected. The integrity of the field needs to be protected. If we only spend money to resurface it and replace the grass, it will still need to be used exclusively for baseball. That's the norm for grass baseball fields everywhere. If we transform our field into turf, that would allow um, a lot of other high school students to use it for their sports teams. It would use our PE classes could use it, our parks and rec activities could use it, outside community members could use it, and it would be able to be a baseball field as well as a community space. A space like that could be used by other groups while giving our baseball team what they deserve. It would also complete the look of our new campus and I think it would save us money in the long run due to the constant and costly maintenance that grass fields require. 
I hope you will agree now is the time to fund a synthetic turf field renovation and complete our athletic campus space to match our state-of-the-art school building. I truly believe a significant portion of our students and community, not just our baseball players, would benefit from an investment like this. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Greiner. Our next speaker is um, Mr. Jeff Duval. Hello, thank everyone for their time. I wrote a long email about three weeks ago and uh, I'll make this short and sweet. Uh, I appreciate uh, the people that read the email and took me up my offer to tour the field. Um, I've received feedback from numerous board members and um, I, I, I think they agree with the state of disrepair that our field is in. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to do that. I want to say this is not just a baseball field, as Paige said and others in the community have said, this is something our whole community can use for not just the players today, players in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Everyone on this board has people that are in the school, maybe it's in Mount Daniel, maybe it's in the high school. Making this renovation will impact all the children of everyone in this room and the community. I will note, I believe, Dr. Newton, correct me on these facts, but I believe roughly 50% of the high school plays some sort of athletics. So this field can not only be used for the baseball, it can also be used for other athletics, for overflow, for field hockey, for football, um, for you know any other, for track and field and so forth. So I want to note, uh, I appreciate the hard work the school has put forward on this project. They've done a lot of research, and what all I ask for this board to do is, you know, listen to the school, listen to the experts that have been, they've uh, collected information from, and support the funding the school has requested. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Duall. Our next speaker is Sarah Brands. Good evening, community members. First, thank you for those of you serving in leadership roles. And I'm going to move it down a little. Can you hear me better now? <laughs> and on the board for our little city schools. You are faced with complex and difficult decisions that require a significant investment of time, consideration, and emotion. Truly, thank you. My name is Sarah Brands, and I'm speaking to you tonight as a Falls Church parent hoping you will reconsider the communication approach around and the commitment to maintaining the current class placements at Oak Street. While we have a shared understanding that there was an error with class assignments and measures will be taken to ensure it does not happen next year, um, thank you very much for that clear communication. What remains unclear is what is actually being enacted this year. Many ideas and plans have been shared, but which are actively being implemented? As parents are trying to better understand what is being done this school year to lead to more equitable access to instructional resources, it seems the message being sent in return is to seek out information on an individual basis and to just move forward. How can we as a community move forward when we don't have a clear understanding of what is going on and what is being done to ensure equity? How can we build collective trust if we're all hearing something different in individual communications? 
While it would be during just one school year that the classes would have the current clusters, for these children, it is the only school year. They get to be a third, fourth, or fifth grader. The major injustice isn't the concentration of students receiving gifted services in a few classes, but what seems to be supporting those classes at the expense of marginalized groups. Which classes were assigned licensed teachers? Which classes have multiple teachers or co-teachers and which have only one? Which classes will be adjusting to a new teacher mid-year? Doing more to remedy the current situation may seem difficult. And at the same time, imagine the a message of fairness and justice you would convey if classes were adjusted to be more representative of our community and there were no longer classes known colloquially among students as smart and dumb classes. The IB Primary Years program starts with a focus on students taking responsibility and ownership of their learning. The goal and end result of the IB curriculum is that they learn to make a difference in their own lives and their communities, leading to a better and more peaceful world. If we as members of the learning community accept our shared responsibility of being guided by the IB learner profile attributes, then we must be resourceful and resilient in the face of challenges and change by pushing ourselves to go beyond the admirable first step of taking responsibility and ownership and make a difference. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Brands. Our next spe speaker is Ms. Pam Mahoney. Hi, good evening, everyone. My name is Pam Mahoney, and I am president of the Falls Church City Education Association. And I'm here tonight on behalf of hundreds of members of staff to tell you that we've got a problem. Staff is angry. It's uncomfortable for all of us, but it's true. Last spring, the board promised us collective bargaining rights, but the insertion of the policy clause, which um, retains board authority over all subjects under policy at the last second last March, combined with the confusion over what, over what section 17 means in the resolution, has resulted in loss of trust from staff and an unsustainable process. The board has changed its rationale several times over the last few months over what the policy clause means. First, we were told the clause was because the board feels like they would be left out of policy making if policies were negotiated in a contract. We attempted to show you how that wasn't true. Then the board argued that they couldn't negotiate over policy because the Code of Virginia said it wasn't possible. We proved that incorrect as well. And now the board is effectively saying that you just don't want to because you are, you are transparent in your policy making as if the way school boards in Arlington or Richmond do it when they negotiate over policy is somehow problematic or bad governance. So now you have hundreds of angry staff members. I'm not sure how we all dig ourselves out of this hole, but maybe thinking about removing the policy clause is a great first step. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Mahoney. Uh, our next speaker is Kenny George. Good evening. My name is Kenny George. Six and a half years ago, I left a successful career in a surrounding school division to take a job as a teacher here at SECPS. 
A year later, I relocated my family within the boundary of Falls Church and recruited my wife to work for FCCPS. I did all of this because I be strongly believe in the core values of the Falls Church community and its school division. But most of you already know this, know my story, because we are, in fact, a small and tight-knit community. I'm speaking to you tonight because I am frustrated. I've been fortunate enough to be part of a team of dedicated and passionate educators over the past three years, working hard to bring collective bargaining to FCCPS. Over this time, we've had conversations with stakeholders from parents to teachers, bus drivers to school board members, and the consensus is that collective bargaining is a priority of Falls Church. Sadly, the collective bargaining is not working in its current state. The insertion of a policy clause during the second reading of the collective bargaining resolution back in March makes it impossible for FCCEA to negotiate the previously agreed upon on topics without fear that they will be struck down with no honest discussion, regardless of their importance. Simply put, this policy clause makes collective bargaining in earnest impossible. Collective bargaining is what is best for the Falls Church community. It allows for true collaboration and participation throughout all levels of the division and the community. The resulting contract represents the voices of many, not just a few. Remove the policy clause so that FCCEA and FCCPS can continue negotiating over the previously agreed upon topics in their entirety without fear of an unexpected and one-sided refusal to negotiate. Only then can we arrive at a contract that is representative of a truly connected community. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. George. Our next speaker is Ms. Emily Donovan. Good evening, my name is Emily Donovan. I'm speaking to you today as a resident of Falls Church City, an employee of Falls Church City Public Schools, and as the parent of two recent Meridian graduates. Thank you, Joe, for the red t-shirt. I spoke to you earlier this year urging you to expand the scope of bargaining between FCCEA and FCCPS. I acknowledge that collective bargaining is new. It creates a shift in power. Power shifts and change are scary things to encounter, but even scarier is remaining stagnant, not growing and developing. Especially as our neighbors in Arlington and further out Richmond move through extensive negotiations. I see teachers and staff who taught, drove, provided a safe and clean environment, and cared for my children, exploring other counties and leaving. At a time when our country is in the midst of a teacher shortage, FCCPS should be doing all it can to retain the stellar staff we have. I feel betrayed by the last minute insertion of the policy clause in the collective bargaining resolution passed by the school board last March. This clause is problematic and is a significant barrier to permitting honest and effective bargaining between FCCEA and FCCPS. As Kristen mentioned in her presentation today, FCCPS is the first division in the state to provide family leave. Now we have another chance to be the first. We can set a precedent for the state of Virginia with collective bargaining by negotiating a contract that represents true collaboration. But in order for this to happen, the school board must amend the current collective bargaining resolution and remove this policy clause that permits the school board to reject a negotiation over topics related to policy without any discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Donovan. Our next speaker is Mr. Mark Deal. Good evening. My name is Mark Deal. I currently teach at Meridian High School. 
I've been an employee of the City of Falls Church Public Schools for just over 10 years. I have been very proud of my employment with this district. I've also been very grateful. I have said to several people in this room on many occasions, this is the only job I've had in my entire life from which I could not be fired because of who I am. I've always been grateful for that. I remain grateful for that. I come to you tonight to ask you to amend the resolution. I speak with some anger, but with deep sadness. Last year, we had an incident at the high school of hate speech, anti-Semitic hate speech. A group of students and staff collaborated on presentations and workshops within the stable groups for how to address that. Several of my stable group students were leaders in that movement. When the day came for those presentations, we were doing that. Oh, I'm so sorry. When the day came for those presentations, we were engaged in that process, and several of the students expressed frustration for why they had to do that. And I tried to get them back on task and express the importance that the school division felt for this. And one of the students, who was in fact a leader in that group, looked at me and with a combination of sadness and condescension, I have to say, said, oh, Mr. Deal, come on, nobody takes this seriously. This is just performative. And I thought about it, and with my full heart, I told her that I did not believe that. That that statement ran counter to everything I had experienced with the City of Falls Church Public Schools. After the past few months, I would hope that I could say that again. Please note that now it's a hope, not a knowledge. Please amend the resolution. Thank you, Mr. Deal. Our next speaker is Mr. John Pepper. Good evening. Many of you already know me, but for those of you who do not, uh, my name is John Pepper and I'm a teacher at Meridian High School. Uh, I've been an employee of Falls Church City Public School for most of the last 17 years, and in that time I've had many roles, teacher, coach, dean, even school administrator, uh, but none of those roles were as rewarding as the time I spent as president of the Falls Church City Education Association, representing my colleagues and our relationship with the school board. During my time as SCCA president, the educators in this division, we worked collaboratively with the superintendent and the school board on many issues. Um, we weathered the 2008-2009 financial crisis without losing any instructional positions. We were able to usher in a new era of technological advances. We brought in programs such as PYP and MYP. So imagine my excitement this spring when I found out that we were going to formalize the process of collective bargaining, allowing the educators in this district not only have a voice, but a seat at the table when discussing important issues such as working conditions. Then imagine my dismay when I found out we can't truly bargain for those conditions because of this policy clause. Clearly it's not a legal issue with collective bargaining because educators in Arlington, Richmond, Fairfax, they're all able to bargain these conditions with their board. So the question is, why can't FCCA bargain with the board over these issues? Is it fear? Fear that we might point out that everything isn't perfect for employees and what appears to be from the outside an outstanding school division? Is it our demands? I know educators across the country are grossly undercompensated, but we're not asking to be millionaires. We're just asking for things like the ability to use the bathroom, put that in a policy. Um, is it control? We've had a partnership in the past with the board, only now with collective bargaining, we really do have a true seat at the table. Or is it that we're being watched by other school boards throughout the state and 
if you work with us, it sets a precedent for places that are a little less reluctant, or a little more reluctant, sorry, to work with schools. So last year, FCCPS was great. We were recognized one of the top workplaces in the DC region. Wouldn't a top workplace want to hear from their employees for what is working, and then look for ways to collaboratively make things better? FCCPS has always been a top school division, cutting edge, a tread center, a place where people want to send their children to school and teachers want to work. Let's keep it that way by showing the people who make FCCPS special that they are truly valued and that they truly have a seat at the decision-making table. I urge you to remove the policy clause. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pepper. Our next speaker is Bill Ackerman. Good evening, uh, school board members. Thank you for letting me uh, come up here to speak with you guys today. Uh, for. The the opportunity to express my support for the new funds for the Meridian High School baseball field. Um, I think we can all agree that the field could use some significant work. Uh, there it is, as others have said, in significant disrepair. Uh, the field is not level, with the outfield being significantly lower than the infield. The infield is surface is uneven. All of this are obvious safety issues, but it also contributes to the pools of standing water that develop when it rains. Meridian players do their best to cover the field with tarps when, it, when rain is in the forecast, but those tarps are old and full of holes, making their coverage merely a suggestion. In fact, my oldest started a GoFundMe fund for new tarps this, his sophomore year because how bad they were. Due to legal issues, he had to abandon that endeavor, but he was given assurances that the school board would do something to rectify the situation. Two years later, we are still using those same tarps. Now is the time for this school to say, step to the plate, so to speak. Uh, I could continue to go on about all the issues that uh, are with the field, but I only have three minutes to talk to you right now. So let's just focus on the fact that this field is not a welcoming experience, does not show us and our school in a favorable light, and in fact is probably bottom line, borderline embarrassing. So let's turn this negative into a positive. That's why Meridian's field, if done properly, could become an area where not just high school teams, but other age-appropriate community teams can play constantly. Constantly, a well-drained, draining all-weather artificial turf field will create a reliable practice and game space for our JV and varsity teams, nearly 40 students total, but also will help pay for itself so that we be able to rent the field to other teams, leagues, and recreational programs without worry about long-lasting damage that would impact high school play. It could host camps and games without fear of rain, creating multi-day cancellations. In the end, let's not be penny-wise and pound-foolish when it comes to improving this baseball field. It is an investment for the community. Thank you. And my address is 149 South Spring Street. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ackerman. Our next speaker is Lisa Ferguson. Chair Downs, uh, Vice Chair Gould, Dr. Noonan, Ms. Tice, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Demick, and Ms. Silverman. 
My name is Lisa Ferguson, and I am a special education teacher at Oak Street Elementary and a member of the FCCEA. I'm also a longtime resident of the city of Falls Church and the very proud parent of four FCCPS graduates. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you this evening about who benefits from collective bargaining and to encourage you to amend the collective bargaining resolution to recognize the right of FCCPS employees to collectively bargain with respect to matters relating to wages, hours, benefits, and safety, and to recognize that employee working conditions are our students' learning conditions, and that when employees benefit from robust, good faith collective bargaining, so do our students. Recently, I introduced myself to the candidates for school board. And when I said that my husband Jim and I had lived in the city of Falls Church for over 24 years, one of the candidates asked, what has kept you here for so long? And so I told her about Josh. Some of you know him. He is the youngest of our four children. And on Friday, he turned 20 years old. Like our older three children, he attended the Falls Church City Public Schools for the entirety of his elementary and secondary education, and he graduated from Meridian in 2022. But he is extra fortunate because he has benefited from some bonus years in the Falls Church City Public Schools. He spent three years in the preschool program before starting kindergarten at Mount Daniel, and his kindergarten teacher and paraprofessional are here tonight which is just mind-blowing and phenomenal. Um, but I remember his first day of preschool vividly. He was not quite three years old, and he had just learned how to walk, and I had no idea how he was going to get on the school bus. But he did with support, and he has never looked back. In August, Josh began his 18th year as a Falls Church City public school student. He is in his second year as a post-grad in the transition program at Meridian. And this is really phenomenal because this morning when he got on the school bus, the same bus driver who picked him up on the first day of preschool was seated behind his current bus driver as a bus aide. But it gets even better because the person who met Josh at Meridian this morning when he got off the bus was the very same paraprofessional who worked with Josh when he was a preschool student at Mount Daniel. And that is because last year she was asked to take her considerable talents to Meridian to work with an older student and that student was Josh. This sort of interconnectedness would not happen anywhere else. And this is why Jim and I have stayed in the city of Falls Church for so long. Ms. Ferguson, thank you so much. I'm sorry your time is up. Okay. Thank, thank you. you so much. And I can't believe Josh is 20. That blows my mind. <laughs> okay, our next speaker is uh, Mr. David Lee, I think. Lai? Okay. Um, my name is David Lee, and I'm a physics and math teacher at Meridian High School. First, I'd like to say 
Uh, I very much enjoy working at FCCPS, and when the Work Climate Survey came out last year, I enthusiastically marked all positive marks. I believe our school district has some really special aspects that help staff succeed in serving uh, our students. This is very clear to me, seeing the great work that all the uh, teachers and staff have done here, and as a, um, as a result, the morale is usually pretty high. Uh, I've worked in many schools, and that's not always the case. There was even a poster in front of our school that said, best places to work, and I took a picture of that poster and sent it to my wife and all of my friends. And I was so proud. I was bragging about the school I was working at. I was, I was just, just so happy to be working there. Um, but things this year has been a little bit different of a story. At first, I was extremely excited to hear we were moving to collective bargaining this year. And that uh, this meant giving the staff a voice in what a contract should look like. I enthusiastically filled out all the surveys to be part of the process because I had hoped that we could bring light to areas that we could improve and overall keep FCCPS a great place to work. I was devastated to find out that the resolution had a last minute clause added to it that restricted negotiations to non-policy items. I thought all the work we did this summer represented what our staff wanted in a contract and it would be voiced in our collective bargaining process. I know my, we might not get everything we asked for, but I was really looking forward to working it out with the school board and this, this part of the resolution diminishes our voice. This part of the resolution takes away what I was hoping our staff could have and it's killing our morale right now. Last year, when people asked what teaching an, an FCCPS, FCCPS uh, was like, I told them it was a great place to work, and that means a lot when there's a vacancies that open up here, um, and you hear about other districts having being understaffed. But now, I can't honestly say this is true right now, because I know our voice isn't being fully heard. Please amend this resolution and continue the work we really want to accomplish this year. I truly believe we can set a precedent for the future of the staff and our school boards. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lee. And our final speaker this evening is Valerie Chesley. Good evening, my name is Valerie Chesley and I've been a staff member, a proud staff member of Falls Church City Public Schools since 2007. I'm here tonight to share my disappointment that the school board said that they wanted collective bargaining last March and then put in a policy clause at the last minute that would essentially stop us from being able to have a real seat at the table and bargain over anything that's a policy. I'm frustrated and confused that the board would do this to our staff. Please consider amending the resolution to allow true collective bargaining. If Arlington can do it, so should we. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Chesley. And thank you to all of our speakers who joined us this evening. We're gonna move on now to 6 point, uh, I'm sorry, 5.01, closed meeting. If someone uh, could read us into close, please. Yes, Dr. Dimick. Chair, pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose, to discuss or consider the identified subject matter. Personnel under section 2.2-3711A1, in particular, staff appointments, staff reassignments, staff resignations, staff retirement, staff performance, change in staff change in positions, staff separation, dependent care leave, long-term medical leave, child care leave requests and leave of absence, and advisory committee appointments and resignation, and student matters under section 2.2-3711A2, in particular non-resident tuition student and a non-resident tuition student waiver under policy 9.21 section 
11B, temporary movement from the city. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Could I have a second? Ms. Silverman, thank you. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. We'll move into close. I don't think this should be a very long closed meeting, maybe 10, 10 minutes. Okay. We'll be back. Thank you.
I think because everyone left. <laughs> you got his camera off. That's why we're not seeing it. Oh, he has his camera off. That's why we're not seeing it. Is he closed? You all right? <laughs> okay. If someone could make a motion to reconvene to open. Yes, Dr. Anderson. I move that the board reconvene to open meeting. Thank you. Could I have a second? Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. We're at 6.01. We're going to certify the closed meeting now. If someone could uh, read the motion, please. Dr. Dimmick. Whereas the Falls Church City School Board has convened a closed meeting on this date pursuant to an affirmative recorded vote and in accordance with the provisions of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, and whereas section 2.2-3711B of the Code of Virginia requires a certification by this school board that such closed meeting was conducted in conformity with Virginia law. Now therefore, be it resolved that the Falls Church City School Board hereby certifies that to the best of each member's knowledge, only public business matters lawfully exempted from open meeting requirement by Virginia laws were discussed in the closed meeting to which this certification applies, and only such public business matters as were identified in the motion convening the closed meeting were heard, discussed, or considered. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Ms. Goodell, could you please uh, call the roll? Um, I just need a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, second. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Now, Ms. Goodell, could you please call the roll? Dr. Anderson? Yes. Dr. Dimmick? Yes. Ms. Downs? Yes. Dr. Gould? Yes. Dr. Ortiz? Yes. Mr. Ms. Silverman? Yes. And Ms. Tice? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> 
Okay, we're at, uh, so we're at the consent agenda now. You'll see we have uh, personnel items, advisory committee appointments and resignations, student matters, advisory committee charges, authorize, authorization of signature and absence of the division superintendent. And that is our consent agenda. And I'd like to ask for unanimous consent. And seeing no objections, the consent agenda is approved. Okay, we're at 8.01, review and approval of Cox Eastman. Do I send it right over to sure. Ms. Minson? Good evening, thank you. Uh, the Cox Eastman in front of the board tonight is one that was reviewed um, with outside counsel Jeremy Root during the work session on August 22nd. Cox did incorporate all of our requested changes and the easement is ready for your approval and signature. Are there any questions about the easement? I don't see any. So if someone could read the motion, please. Yes, Ms. Silverman. I move that the school board authorize the school board chair to sign the easement agreement between the Falls Church City School Board and Coxcom LLC as presented, subject to changes approved by the superintendent that do not material, materially adversely affect the school board's position. Thank you. Could I have a second? Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. And we're at 8.02 FY24 budget amendment number one. And give it to you, Dr. Noonan. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair and uh, board members. This evening we have two budget amendments that we'd like to put in front of you um, with respect to the use of year-end funding. Um, this uh, information was shared at the last work session, um, but I'm gonna actually turn it over to our, our Chief Operating Officer, Kristen Michael, who has some details about each of these uh, motions. Thank you so much for the opportunity to bring forward two budget amendments this evening. So at the work session in September, the school board received the FY23 year-end financial report. And as part of that report, potential uses for one-time funding were presented. In addition to those operational items in the baseball field that we presented in September, in May, when the FY24 budget was adopted by the school board, approval was granted to use one-time funding for items for instruction, totaling $960,803. Um, just as a reminder for those listening, the funded items include an English for speakers of other language teacher, 1.5 advanced academic teachers, a longevity bonus for employees at the top of the salary scale who didn't receive a step increase, contract length extensions, a math resource teacher, a secondary school counselor, psychologist service, and funding for professional development, textbooks, and sustainability and instructional materials at the secondary campus. With the additional funding that was added to FCCPS's fund balance at FY23 year end and received through our revenue sharing agreement with the city council, approval for one-time investments in operations and facilities is requested at this point. So how do we get here? Well, due to uncertainties related to the pandemic, we were very conservative in terms of using our fund balance um, previously. This resulted in really high fund balances. And with the investments that we received in federal pandemic funding, general government actual revenue exceeding budget for the last two years through our revenue sharing agreement and our expenditures being less than budgeted in FY23, we now have more one-time funding available that would allow us to make a larger investment than we have made in the past. From the newly proposed items that were presented to the school board in September, we did defer the recommended purchase of two electric buses to an upcoming meeting. 
Um, with that deferral, we also deferred recognizing the offsetting revenue that we'll receive from the Don Buyer Grant um, for the electric bus and for the savings that we'll have in our bus leases. Um, with that revenue and savings, that net cost for two electric buses would be $315,026. So after funding all of the items that the school board approved in May and all of the items that we're bringing forward this evening and setting aside the fund balance that we included in our FY24 budget, the school board will have $572,321 in fund balance that can be used for future board actions. So the first motion this evening would fund the following items. The first is a door badge system totaling $67,885. Um, the Falls Church General Government and the schools have always used the same door badge system and they have moved forward with installing a new Gentech access system for their buildings. And because we use the same access system um, that allows police and public safety to enter our buildings, we're requesting funding so we too can move to that same system. The second item that we requested funding for was for our Governmental Operations Energy Action Plan. Um, this is a project that we will do with the general government. They are taking the lead. And the items that are funded through this program that will help us include fleet management software um, that they will be able to use to track our bus maintenance, fuel use, and other related components. Energy audits to see how we're using energy in our buildings, which was one of the largest um, things that we could do in terms of reducing our footprint. and then technical support for our HVAC controls. So are we using the systems that are controlling our buildings to our best ability? So our shared portion of that cost is $60,000. The next item is bus routing software. Um, we're requesting funding to replace the bus routing system we have currently with a system called Student Transportation Powered by Transversa. That bus routing system would develop all of our bus routes. It also schedules all of our field trips, does routing assignments, um, and will make providing um, information that comes to parents like here comes the bus much easier. The next item that we have is $30,000, which is our shared cost for a demographer. Um, this is a project that, again, we're doing jointly with the general government. Um, through a competitive process, they hired the Stephen Fuller Institute, and they will be doing updated trends as well as enrollment and demographic projections. And they are scheduled to present their enrollment projections to the school board on November 14th. Then the last item in this first motion is $100,000 for collective bargaining. Um, as everyone knows, the school board approved a collective bargaining resolution agreement, and we're currently in the process of negotiating our collective bargaining agreement. Last year, funding was allocated from the prior end to be utilized if needed to obtain external legal services, but not all of that funding was used, and it therefore fell into ending balance. So we are asking for $100,000 to be set aside at this point. If during this year we need additional funding, we would come back to the school board with a request, and then any unused funding from this allocation will be returned to the school board as part of our year-end balance that we do each year. So those are all of the items for the first budget amendment. Thank you so much, Ms. Michael. Any questions? Yes, Ms. Silverman. Thank you, Ms. Michael, for that presentation. Um, Dr. Noonan, I have a question for you. I, and, um, I remember asking this during budget season, I think both years that I've been on the um, board, you know, the, the second half of budget season, my first year, and, and then last year. Um, and, and I think it's a, an important question to be asking now. If we are presented with these options for one-time use funds, what other one-time use funds are we not prioritizing this year um, that, that you know, maybe are, we're looking at to, to fund next year? 
Um, that's a great question. We, we went back to um, those items that were, uh, we wanted to have budgeted for in last year's budget that didn't make the cut to see if there were any one-time kinds of uh, needs within that list. Um, and we determined that there weren't, um, there, that the items that weren't funded last year as part of the budget actually have been taken care of through um, some other processes. Um, so at this point, um, we have done an internal prioritization um, that is a collaboration between the general government and the schools. Um, and, and you see that in the door badge replacement system and the energy action plan uh, and the demographer. Um, um, those three items are all in collaboration with the general government, and we feel like it's really important for us as partners to go into that together. Um, these, are thing, these are things, uh, including the bus routing software and the collective bargaining that we've been talking about needing for over a year, um, and now we have an opportunity to um, take care of these needs. So we have done internal prioritization, um, and right now we are in a really good position where we have a significant amount of year-end funds, and there's not a lot of need other than some of these things that we have put off um, to the point where um, we now, we're now able to do it. So one thing that's come up to me from um, students and parents um, of Oak Street is just some of the building repair that still should probably be looked into, leaking ceilings, um, air conditioning that's not working in the old wing. Are we still looking to make more um, investments into the building at Oak Street to fix some of the, I feel like Oak Street is probably our our oldest building at this point and, and the, probably the building with the most need. Are we still looking to make any changes and fixes at Oak Street? Of, um, of course, each year, um, Brian Fowler, our Director of uh, Maintenance and Operations, presents the CIP and goes through with the principals and with the staff at um, each of the schools to identify the needs at each of the schools. Um, you sharing tonight from the dais that there are leaking ceilings is the first time I've actually heard that. So um, I, I know that Brian has met with the staff over there and, and I'm surprised to hear that. In terms of the HVAC, um, there have been some issues in the new wing over at Oak Street with some of the HVAC units, um, but those are still within their useful life. Um, so there wouldn't be any need to replace those, but instead repair them. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll do again another walk to make sure that um, any capital improvement items like HVAC units, roofing, um, tile and the like are taken care of. I will say that there is, um, there is some big money coming towards Oak Street that, have been, that has been part of the allocation that came from Senator Sasslaw's bill um, or, or um, set aside. And we are anticipating that some of the things that um, may be perceived as some of the older um, items at Oak Street, such as the casement windows and some things like that, will likely be replaced as part of our safety and security protocols. Um, so we anticipate that there will be some sort of a facelift externally for sure, um, particularly on the, on the um, George Mason side. Um, with the secondary entrance, we expect that we'll probably put in a secure vestibule down there. Um, again, like I say, probably change out all of the windows in the school, um, check all of the doors, maybe do some door, new door casings um, and the like, but we'll certainly look into any leakage. Um, I know some of the HVAC systems do 
the lines clog and they back up, um, but that's not a that's a maintenance issue. It's really not a, a capital issue. As a non-HVAC expert, um, I, I will take your word for that. Thank you. Sure. It's actually the number one cause of leaks for roofs is, is a backed and up maybe, HVAC and, system. Yeah, and maybe that's what's causing. I, I, some of the students have said that the tiles have been replaced a few times in the ceilings. So. That's right. When we when we see that there's been water that's come through, we do replace those. But I I haven't heard of a systemic leak. Okay. So. That's what messed up our Meridian gym floor, right? <laughs> the HVAC. Correct. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? We'd appreciate it if you didn't bring up gym floors anymore. Sorry. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon, that's right. Okay, if we, I could have a motion, we're at 8.02 to approve these expenses. Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Chair, I move that the Falls Church City School Board authorize an operating fund expenditure and corresponding use of fund balance of $337,804 for the following. Door badge reader system, government operations energy action plan components, bus routing software, demographer, and collective bargaining. Thank you. Could I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. And we're now at 8.03, the FY24 budget amendment number two, uh, which is focusing on the baseball field. And should I, okay, go to Ms. Michael. So when the high school was built, we received significant community input into the high school design and the features. At that time, based on the funding that we had available and the space that we needed to build the new high school, we made the tough decision that the stadium field, concession stand, and baseball field would need to remain exactly as they were. So our capital improvement plan historically has been focused on our school building renovations, additions, and most recently, of course, the new high school. As a result, our CIP has really not looked at our outdoor facilities, including fields. And each year as we've worked to improve our CIP, um, we've made changes. First, we started gathering more information about the systems within the building. Last year, we incorporated feedback from school administrators. And our plan for this year is to get input from our community members as well and to expand what we're including in that CIP. So when we started the conversations about our baseball field, it was actually February of 2023 when we came to the school board to ask for $100,000 towards improving the baseball field. But as we started contracting vendors, we came to realize that the need was significantly greater. Um, as you heard this evening, the field is not level. Um, the outfield is significantly lower than the infield. The field surface is uneven. We have water that pools in multiple areas, and we have unpredictable and unsafe ball bouncing as a regular occurrence. The large netting behind the field has been in place for over 20 years, and it needs significant repairs or maintenance. The spectator experience is also negatively impacted by the lack of a press box and a sound system, as well as the netting poles blocking the view. So we purchased a new press box, and when we went to look at installing it this last summer, we realized to install the press box, we needed to partially remove the netting because the press box had to be lifted over the netting. Um, at that time, we were unable to find any vendors who would help us in terms of maintaining the netting or taking down the half to install the press box. So we're hanging on to the press box, waiting to install it. 
So most recently, central office leaders and Meridian school leaders engaged community stakeholders, including our partners at Reckon Parks and the general government. We brought in a potential vendor to help answer questions, and we included parents, um, athletic boosters, and community members in terms of getting feedback on field orientation, the backstop and netting, and looking at sh should we install a natural grass or synthetic turf surface. The feedback that we received included, again, significant concerns about the terrible concerns of the condition of the field, and a lot of feedback that it's been years and we haven't been able to do anything. The stakeholders wanted to ensure that the field space was a community asset that residents of Falls Church, as well as students of all ages, could benefit from using in the long term. Our baseball field is the largest field on our secondary campus, and with the natural grass field that we currently have in place, it's unusable for five months during the year when we have a blanket on the grass to ensure the grass grows. Then in addition to that, to maintain the condition of the grass for baseball season, we have to limit use to baseball to keep the grass in good condition. So the stakeholders' feedback was replacing the field with synthetic turf would allow the field to be used for physical education classes at the middle and high school, of course for baseball, but as well as other athletic teams to practice, and it could also be used for significant community use from rec and parks as well as other organizations that we rent our fields to. For field rental, we currently rent our stadium field for between $72 to $150 per hour, depending on what level of renter you are. So are you within the city? Are you a not-for-profit? Are you outside of the general government? Um, and our current baseball field rents from $50 to $120 an hour, um, but we're renting it on very limited use. Um, as a result of all of this feedback that we received, um, we're requesting $2 million in funding to install a turf field on the baseball field. This high-level estimate that we received from a vendor included removing the current backstop netting and installing a new backstop, as well as fencing along the third field line um, and putting in to prevent uh, stakeholders that are sitting at the stadium field from getting hit from foul balls. As a small school division, we frequently ride or access contracts that larger school divisions or purchasing cooperatives competitively bid. Um, this reduces the amount of time that it has to take. For us to do a competitively bid contract, it takes a crazy long time, um, as you could clearly see with the entrance of Oak Street in terms of getting that in place. And when we use a competitively procured contract from a larger school division or a purchasing cooperative, we also gain the benefit of the better pricing that they tend to get when negotiating a contract. Um, so when we looked at the baseball field, we originally approached two vendors um, from competitive contracts, um, and then we brought in the one from the lower of those two bids to talk with our stakeholders when we met last week. When we look at what we want to do, the current lights and dugouts would remain and the field orientation would stay the same way, and we would install the press box over our existing bleachers so it would look very much just like softball. So we look forward to the opportunity to spend this one-time funding to improve the baseball field um, for our athletics teams, our high school and um, students, as well as our community. And we thank all of the stakeholders that helped us with engagement, and particularly our stakeholders at Parks and Rec. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Michael. So I'll open it up to comments and questions. Ms. Tice. Thank you so much. Um, I had the pleasure with Dr. Anderson of touring the field. Uh, what was that just last week? It feels like a long time ago. Um, and I've 
I saw how uh, in, in what disrepair the field is in. So I am fully convinced on the need for a new field, and uh, and I think the arguments are very compelling for um, a synthetic turf field, which I know is dramatically more expensive. Um, I had two questions. The first one is how confident are you or are we that um, that it really is that the two million dollars is really going to get what we need to get the field completely up to up to standard the standard that we want um, so I would say we're pretty or we're pretty confident all of the numbers that we got are what the vendors have told us is a budgetary estimate so until they bring out the civil engineer to look at that until we can get information in terms of stormwater and permitting right it won't be a solid estimate um, but what I would say is these two bids that we looked at in terms of maintaining the current field orientation they were relatively similar um, so we are pretty hopeful that we can do that for this amount if we couldn't we would return to the board um, or request additional funding before we issued a contract yeah, I guess my, I, I'm asking because one of the most interesting things that we learned a little history lesson is that the field is actually built on top of a former uh, city dump. And so that is one of the reasons that it contributes to such um, inconsistent leveling. So it will take a lot of compact, I'm not an expert obviously in this, but a lot of compacting and um, I don't know if they have to excavate or they just compact down or what to, to really compress it and make it level. Um, so that was that was interesting. Hopefully they won't hit another car when they start digging. Um, can, I, can I just uh, jump in just real quick to sure. chime in about that? I, I want to, um, I don't want to myth bust, but I want to be sure that we're um, clear. When we did soil samples for the building of the high school, we didn't find the trash that everybody thought was there. When we did the, geo, the geothermal wells in the field under, underneath the new synthetic turf and where the um, tennis courts are now. We found some under the tennis courts, but nothing underneath the synthetic turf. So we were surprised. We actually had built into the budget of the new high school um, a, a budgetary thing for deep foundations, it's called, where they have to go down and they have to dig and they've got to pour concrete, and we didn't have to use that. So um, there is some lore out there that it's on a that it's on a waste dump, but I until we do um, borings, you know, we won't we won't know. And I and I just want to say that because I don't know that um, it would be any more cost, even if it is. Um, so especially the way these fields are put in now. Okay, so. that's helpful. Thank you. Um, and uh, so I, I guess that alleviate some concern on that once they start digging that there would be more work to be done to com to compress or whatever they would need to do to keep it level or get it level. Um, and then my other question was more just about timeline because um, my understanding is that regardless of whether we vote tonight or not or how, how it goes that you know we're too late into the school year to have a beautiful new field for this coming season. Is that that's correct, right? So are there things that we could or should do in the shorter term um, to increase you know the safety and stability of the field for this upcoming season? We yeah, we actually think there are some things that we can do more immediately. Um, if the um, you, because you're right to be able to put in a new synthetic field right now isn't possible for the baseball season, but we could be ready um, to break ground on the field right after. But in the meantime, um, we would like to replace the netting behind home plate, put up the netting along third base, install the uh, press box, uh, and we could do that uh, throughout the the fall, late fall, early spring. So that that would at least be ready. That, that's fantastic. And when you say replace the netting, that means completely new poles and everything, lower poles, smaller 
We, we do have an estimate on that. Do you want to talk about, um, it would be bringing down the size of the net for sure. And we're still working. We've had a very difficult time finding why those nets are as tall as they currently are. Um, we haven't been able to find anything in code. Um, we did a great walk with our partners at the general government in terms of all of um, permitting was out there, um, stormwater, um, and, and so far the only thing we can find in terms of the required height was the myth or the lore or whatever it might be was that um, an attorney was driving their car on the metro access road when a foul ball came over the fence and onto the access road. And at that point, um, the current athletic director at the time was worried about any potential legal liability and that's why they're 120 feet tall. Um, so we haven't been able to find a vendor um, or anyone in permitting who can tell us why they're that high. And, and we have no intention of putting up fences, uh, netting that high. Um, one thing I can share with the board coming from another jurisdiction that's a city jurisdiction right next door. Um, if you were to drive west on 66 and look to the left, you'll see another net that's there. That's at Providence Elementary on their baseball field. And that is sufficient height uh, for for the, the city of Fairfax. And I, I would anticipate that that height would be sufficient for the city of Falls Church as well. But we do want to replace the netting. I would imagine that the poles that are there will probably be either repurposed or torn down. Those that need... Obviously, we're not going to keep the 100-foot poles, but um, we do we do want to get those taken care of as quickly as possible. Great. Just in terms of the fan experience, the current poles are just so massive that they are really an obstruction. So if they're not needed from a, if we don't need, I would imagine if we don't need poles that crazy high, we don't need poles that crazy big either. That's wide, a good imagining. Right? So yeah. uh, it would be it would be great, but it it would be a shame if we had to put new netting on those old poles in the short term, but we'd be able to replace the poles before the spring, we've theoretically. Spoke, we've spoken with the contractor and, and he would be, that would be they great. would be able to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Tice. Yes, Dr. Anderson. Yeah, I guess I just have a, a few questions on use because, you know, I think I think it's incumbent on the on the board to kind of, I know that we have got a lot of community input on favoring the turf field um, and some of the benefit has been uh, about the community use when, uh, you know, uh, like say, and when it's not being covered, um, though I, I one, one question I have is like, how many sports are actually being played outside when the field is actually covered? Because I assume it's covered in the time that field sports aren't actually occurring. Uh, and also, I know that uh, grass fields can also be used by other, uh, by other, by by other sports, other other associations. Uh, um, a friend of mine said that he, uh, who uh, uh, played football at Falls Church, uh, high or at George Mason High School played on the grass field, like he practiced, he practiced football on the grass field at, uh, uh, on the baseball field. Um, and so when we're thinking about the rental income, that doesn't really kind of, that doesn't really move the needle for me, given how low the hourly rates are, it would take many, many years uh, for us to make up the cost. And the current CIP does say that we, um, and, and one of the first things that I heard on the board about the athletic uh, um, kind of uh, complex at Meridian was the concession stand. And several people have uh, brought that up to me. Uh, and the difference between a turf field that's $2.1 million versus a natural, natural field at $775,000, I think, 
it requires a lot of convincing to say we should spend $1.3 million on a turf field when it's not necessarily going to recoup the cost. A grass field can be used by other, by other teams. Um, and we have several uh, turf fields out there already um, for anything that needs to be played during the time that the field would be covered. So, oh, go ahead. I, I would just throw in there that um, no one's allowed to use a grass field. So that's that, because it is a grass field, so they have to keep it pristine for the games. So that's part of the problem. And so like if you, you were saying like if it's covered, but so like let's, let's use example. So right, right now, just to use example, is um, they, I'm speaking as a mom of an athlete, but, but my, so right now lacrosse fights for field space with football all the time. And so they can't practice on the baseball field because it would it would destroy the the field and so there um the ability to have it turfed my understanding is that um the lacrosse team the field hockey team and the soccer team all anticipate using it if it's turfed for you know off-season practices for practices and that sort of thing so that that's one of the problems with the grass field is that it's so delicate that it it is barely ever utilized except for baseball. Um, so are those uh, in the spring or the or the fall? Just curious. So those are yeah, those so are actually uh, year round though. Are, yeah. And that was the point I was going to make mm -hmm. is that turf fields are at a massive premium right now because there are so many clubs and rec programs out there looking for space all the time. Um, right now our baseball fields are offline for five months. During that five month period, I'm confident that we would be able to rent it to a lacrosse club, a soccer club, a field hockey club. Um, but there would be people fighting to get use of that field throughout the year. The other thing, and, and they do go year-round, and I, I'll just tell you, I've stood in snowstorms. There's, a, there's, a, there's a kickball tournament that comes in after <laughs> yeah. football stuff yeah, yeah. in the stadium um, field. But with respect um, also to, um, let's see, now I lost my train of thought, sorry. Uh, so use. Um, Oh, the other, the other thing that is really important to consider, too, is some of the secondary costs that are associated with grass, and that is cancellations of games. Um, anytime it rains, um, that field can't be used. Um, it doesn't drain. Um, a turf field does drain. Um, and so there are some additional costs of time and, and energy and, and effort. I just think um, I understand your points completely. Um, I do think that we have been in this conversation for about five or six years about the baseball field and we haven't been able to do anything about it because we haven't had year-end balance that we've been able to pour into this facility um, and this is really an opportunity I think for us to to really bring it up to speed. Um, we do have a plan for the uh, concession stand and um, my hope is and I shared this with the City Council as well and to, with Wyatt to be able to move I, I spoke about it in the budget and finance meeting actually um, so that the mayor and and others are aware we would like to very much bring down the amount of money that's in the Oak Street year, year out we have uh, Oak Street and the CIP years out in case there is growth in the city and we need more space at Oak Street um, which I don't anticipate at this point um, and and we have, I think it's $2 million in um, the CIP, something like that. We would like to reduce that by half and, um, and then move up the, 
the uh, concession stand to this year's CIP in hopes that they would fund that. Um, if for some reason we aren't able to fund it through the CIP, um, we would actually be more open to eliminating a bus than to not doing the baseball fields because we just feel like at this point we have a really important opportunity to get this get that field right and then have the complex complete. Uh, I just wanted to add one comment and you know correct me if I'm if this is not I think I'm characterizing this correct um, you know I've heard some people talk about well you know if, if it's a community use what is the city contributing but ironically the city has because of the revenue share right so we have basically almost a million dollars in a revenue share from the city that is helping to fund the baseball field. Is that uh, ultimately, it's a fair statement to say that the city, the general government, would be paying for half of the field with the with the million dollar. It's our revenue, obviously, um, but without that revenue sharing agreement, we wouldn't have that million dollars coming into our coffers to be able to do this. Um, so, so that is an important point. I, I do think. Um, and I, I don't want to overstate it, but I do think that there would be um, a significantly greater amount of revenue coming in. It probably would take many, many years to recover the cost of the field, but um, in some ways, you know, it, it really does open it up more for our internal athletes um, that are also fighting for space throughout the year. Uh, yeah, can I go to Ms. Silverman? She had her hand up. Okay. Thank you. Um, I have a couple, quite few questions. Um, first, we've spoke, Ms. Michael, you mentioned that we've spoken to two different companies. Is that right? And they both came in, and so these are just budgetary proposals. They are not with an engineer out to the fields to take a look. Correct. Have they been to the field to, to look? Yes. They okay. Have. So this is after, so without expert, with, without their engineers on the field, but they did take a, they did visually look at it and w was able to give you a strong estimate? Yes, I would say that they are strong estimates and they were at the field multiple times looking at it. Okay. Um, have and we they've, put installed, out they've installed hundreds of fields, so they, they've done this over hundreds of times, so they've seen this before. Okay. And then the preliminary fixes that you were talking about for this year, is that part of the $2 million or is that in addition? It's part of the two million. Okay, um, and then just a final note. Um, to me, I, I'm in favor of most likely in favor of doing this, um, and you know, to me, it's not about the the revenue that we're going to bring in. I mean, we're we going to bring in two thousand, five thousand dollars a year. I don't, you know, um, I just I think for the longevity of a turf field, I think you know, I'm more into fixing it and doing it right than fixing it kind of halfway and having you know, I, I'm not as familiar with the MEH field, but I am very familiar with Larry Graves and I see what happens to grass fields there every day, um, as I walk my dog, which I'm probably not allowed to do there. But um you know, I, I am familiar with just how muddy it gets and just unplayable it is. So, um those are just my two cents on that. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Uh, Vice Trugel. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
probably start my comments with the fact that I think we all agree that the baseball field has significant concerns in terms of its attention over the years. And as you raised in the last meeting, the safety concerns that are, I think it's great to hear from Ms. Tice's question that we can address the netting, which is what you mentioned in the last meeting. Um, and and we, we don't have to replicate the 100 or 120 foot fence or netting, um, not just for safety purposes, but also for parents to actually see the games, which I heard today that they can't even watch through the netting. Um, so I'm glad that that can be addressed for the spring. I think I would be um, wholly supportive of trying to figure out what that process would be for the netting. I think my, my concern that I have, and it's been echoed by a few of the questions already, is just the process and the speed that we're doing this. This was raised to the board last meeting, um, and I feel like we are actively and, and, uh, and diligently going through the process of understanding this. Ms. Tice and Dr. Anderson met last week with Mr. Fowler. Um, I, what I would like this board to do, and I'm fine if this is the minority request, is just to uh, sit with this, let the public hear about this, um, and give us another meeting to vote on this versus having to vote tonight. Um, my reasons for that are from a procurement standpoint, um, I feel like if we had two bids to look at, at least two bids to look at, um, that would be great to make sure that we are engaging in a much more confident bid. Um, this is a very complicated structure to build upon. Um, this is not, uh, and I think as Ms. Tyson, Dr. Anderson got directly from Mr. Fowler, this is a different kind of field. Um, as a former federal procurement officer, I am extremely aware of how contracts work. Um, I would feel much more confident with the taxpayer dollars if the taxpayers had two options to look at in writing versus having a verbal uh, discussion with a vendor in front of a community meeting, which I know is a great way for vendor feedback and market feedback, but I think the taxpayers would be benefit from having two solid estimates. I, as of now, as, a, as an owner of companies that do contracting, I know I can put together a bid in an afternoon if the government asks me, so I know this is not a long process to do. I feel like we could have that done in the next week and they could come out and they could put that in writing and that would benefit for our constituents that are looking at a significant amount of money that could be spent um, on field. So I would be requesting that to be able to vote confidently. Again, it's not about yes or no on the baseball field. Um, I feel like this is a good movement forward. It's more about making sure we are following a good process um, and I'm not confident right now that we're ready to vote tonight after just hearing about this two weeks ago, um, I feel like the public needs to hear about it. So that's one of the main concerns. Um, the other concern that I have is what Dr. Anderson raised about grass versus turf. Um, I have talked to a number of the baseball uh, families and there seems to be split on the tradition of field of grass versus turf. I don't know how we resolve that. I mean, maybe we just rely on the community feedback, but from the families that I talked to, turf was not necessarily the overwhelming vote. It was more of getting attention on the baseball field. Um, so I don't know if we would spend or how we would do that just to make sure that turf is the right direction. But again, investing three times as much in a field um, where it doesn't seem like the baseball community is unanimous in that is something that I would want to make sure of before we vote tonight on something that is completely permanent. Um, and then the last thing, which is not as much of a concern, but I think it's addressed again by Dr. Anderson, was just the CIP. Um, I want to make sure that 
as we go forward, this is something that for me being on the board was brought to our attention two weeks ago. And I understand this has apparently been on the list or on, on the minds for years, um, but I just feel like we're rushing to make a vote tonight. And as Ms. Tice said, if we can vote on this next meeting, just another two weeks, I would feel much more confident about following the process um, if nothing's really going to change. If we can still vote two weeks from now, have the netting up by spring, um, I feel like that's a much more responsible way to approach this versus trying to rush a vote tonight that isn't going to change the timeline if we vote two more weeks. So I would be asking my members, my colleagues, to wait two more weeks before we vote and also having at least two proposals in writing um, by vendors, which is a common practice in procurement. Chair sure, Nance, can I? Yes. Um, yes. I, I just want to respond about the procurement piece. Um, the, the rest of the decisions are sort of up to you about when you want to do it. I just want to make sure that, um, that Vice Chair Gould, you're, you know that um, for us to work through a procurement office in the City of Falls Church to develop a scope of work, to develop an RFI, um, to develop a, a, you know multiple um, processes in the procurement process will take us months. Um, we are understaffed. Um, we are under, uh, well, I'll just say we're understaffed and overworked in the procurement office. We have one person, Jim Wise, who does all the procurement for the entire general government, and that includes the schools. Um, so I just that's the reason that we use um, the competitive bidding process that has been done in the writing is because school divisions like Fairfax or Loudoun or Prince William have gone out and done that competitive process that you're asking for and have done the down selects from that um, and have chosen the most responsive and, and least uh, expensive, in most cases, the least expensive bidders. We also then get the benefit of the, the lower costs by writing those contracts. So I think it would be easy, you're right, it would be easy for us to call vendors and say, hey, give us a solid, um, a solid, uh, uh, you know, um, number for this, but for us to be able to do that, we need to develop a scope of work, we need to develop um, a lot of documentation, they're going to want um, some sort of uh, engineering done by um, a, a local engineer before they'll give us anything solid. So I, I respect what you're asking for. I think, I think to be honest, what you're asking for will take months. Yeah, so I'm very comfortable and confident of what I'm asking for, and I'm not asking for a request for proposal, which is what you're mentioning in terms of having full specs and requirements. What I'm asking for is more of a market feedback, a vendor market feedback. An RFI does not require what you ask for. An RFI can happen in two weeks' time. Um, we can make it quite informal. And from a procurement standpoint, we could still go with the option that you talked about, the down select. The concern that I have with the down select and using other uh, district bids is specifically our field is quite different from the other fields. And so I would be concerned that we would be a committing to a $2 million bid on basically a, a turf field in another location. And then when we actually start to start this project, it could come in at $3 million because of the different intricacies. And then what we're going to be left with as a board is we are going to have to fund the extra million or the extra money. And from a, a government standpoint, procurement standpoint, I don't want to be hamstrung and basically be forced into raising the money of what we're going to have to spend on this. I would like us to do our due diligence. So what I'm asking for is just an extra two weeks to do our due diligence because we just got this brought to us two weeks ago. I understand, Ms. Michael, you've obviously got a significant amount of discussions with the community and one of the vendors. I'm asking just for one more vendor and just two more weeks. Yes, Ms. Um. 
Dr. Noonan, I hear you on all that. Um, and I am still in favor of, of moving forward with the turf field, but if one of my other board members doesn't feel ready to vote, I would like to also wait. I'd, I'd feel more comfortable voting on it once everybody on the board felt comfortable voting on it. Um, and just can I, can I ask a question? Yes. Um, yes. I'm the, and hope I'm not too loud. Um, uh, I um, can you all hear me? Yep. Okay, great. Um, so I have a couple of um, you know, uh, Dr. News been communicating about. Well, we've been talking about um, mentioning this um, for a long time. So I'm you know I'm glad that that this is coming together. You know, having attended a couple of baseball games early on there, you know, it's 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 not the fan experience that you would like, and certainly it's clear that it's a struggle for everybody who's involved. Um, but the last time that we had a, a discussion about this, um, it had to do with the concept of flipping the field orientation so that home base was kind of closer to the concession stand, and um, and the benefits of that, um, you know, with respect to not having to maintain this netting, I think there's probably also other benefits to the fact that like kind of the, the, the center of the action is closer to where the center of the action is, right? You don't have to walk 400 feet to get to home plate. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm not wedded to that um, in any way, but I don't think that what we're being presented with is a really good analysis of the alternatives, um, especially in light of the fact that there's, you know, part of the general proposal that's being put forth here is, um, mixed use of the facility. Now I understand, you know, baseball fields are gigantic. Um, I don't know the size of what part of that field could be used like competitively for other sports. You know, is it, you know, within a regulation soccer field? Is it not? Would it be too close to the edge? You know, can it be striped? Is that something that's done? You know, these are just, I think, little details that you know, I don't think we need to have them all ironed out, but just like, you know, even if it's just a, like a, a page with a, you know, with pros and cons of various alternatives that, and then, and then finally what we landed on, because I think the community feedback we have, while it's really helpful, is very baseball centric. And, you know, if we're trying to put together a facility that really can be used across a number of different programs, then we really should be thinking about it in those terms. And I think that's just a little bit of a longer conversation, you know, um, you know, if there's time in that to just get like a double check on the finances, that's good too. But I think that those are a couple of details that make me kind of uncomfortable with the proposal that's before us right now. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Um, so Vice Chair Gold, just to follow up on one, uh, you were talking about the turf field. It's my understanding, Ms. Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but the coaches were, um, in that decision for the turf, is that right? Correct, we had Meridian administrators, we had um, all of the coaches, we had athletic boosters there, as well as um, parents of baseball students. When they looked at flipping the field, flipping the field had a significant cost, and they felt that it was more important to put the funding available into the field, right, and to avoid that cost of flipping. Um, so they thought maintaining the orientation um, and being able to have turf was a much better option than spending a similar amount of money to flip the field and have grass. Thank you. Did you want to say something? Um, uh, so, so out of the, the five items that would be needed, uh, lights, press box, netting, field, and dugout, I think that's the five. We already have the press box. 
we have the, oh, bleachers, that's the sixth thing. We already have the bleachers in storage, correct? The bleachers are there. Um, they will be connected to the press box. You're okay. correct. We have the press box in storage. We have the press box if in we, storage. Lights. We, the lights. If we maintain the current orientation and don't flip the field, we can use the existing lights and the existing dugouts, as well as um, the existing fencing around the outfield. Okay. And the lights are LED? They are not LED. Okay. Um, and then the netting, obviously, and, and the dugout, I have heard the dugout, the current dugout is, is, is um, quite poor. Uh, it, I don't know if that's the right, maybe I should look over to my right here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but from a flooding issue and, and, and there's, there's stop, stop gaps, is dugouts not on the list or is this something that would be coming up? Should I just look? At it? I no, know. it's it's. I mean, it's not a necessity. It's it's. Um, you know, I think it's just a it's just a matter of pouring some concrete. So. So that's not really needed for. That's not in any of our estimates right now. It, it's not because when we got feedback from the stakeholders, they really wanted to spend the funding that we had on the field itself, right? And they felt that things like the existing dugouts um, could be improved with minor um, adjustments. Okay. So, for example, that field is so unlevel, right? The drainage um, is a problem, and hopefully, by addressing some of the drainage, that would help. They certainly could be power washed, um, you know, painted. They could use concrete in the floor, as Chair Downs indicated. So I do think there are things that we could do within our typical maintenance budget in terms of improving the dugouts. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I actually think and, and boosters can also um, contribute some financial, that's not a large expense. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of um, uh, just a couple things I wanted to make clear. So the contract, um, that would be the contract to be signed. We would, I guess what I'm trying to, it, addresses is Dr. Gold's point or, or question about it, it skyrocketing to three million. When we sign the, when you sign the contract, we would have a number. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking to my right of a superintendent who brought in a $120 million building on time and under budget. So this isn't something that, you know, I th think you've had your experience building things um, for for quite much more than, than two million. So I, I have faith in, in Ms. Michael and Dr. Afternoon that we're not going to get over that amount. But um, if you maybe could talk just a second about like some of those safeguards so that we don't balloon up into uh, even more than two million. Sure. Um, one of the things that we would do is once we have a committed amount of funding and we know which direction we're going to go in um, in terms of if the field will be turf or natural grass surface. Then we will go out um, to the lower of these two bidders that we looked at, and we will ask them to get a civil engineer involved, right? And at that point, they'll be able to prepare for us more detailed estimates, right? And we would not move forward um, and sign a contract without that detailed estimate with the committed price that they were going to do the work for. Okay. Thank you. And I know that over the years, um, I know Dr. Dimmick, we've we've done quite a few of these writing contracts with Fairfax. So I know this is something that that we've done over the years, and and a part of that is to receive better pricing. Um, but you know, given Ms. Silverman's um, request uh, to that you you don't feel that comfortable voting if if one of the board members doesn't vote, I would be okay to postpone for two weeks. But I would I would say to this board that we are taking a vote in two weeks. And so it's a yes or no. So 
Vice Chair Gold, I hope we get all the information that you want. Um, but if we don't, we still, we're still we gonna need to vote because we need to get get moving with the netting and all that sort of thing. So yes, Dr. Dimmick. I guess since I haven't said where I am on this, I support turfing the field and using the funds for that. Um, as my fellow board members know, I am so not a sports person. Um, but I, you know, having had a kid who did rec sports and always constantly looking for, you know, at elementary age, looking for any sort of field where you can have a rec sport, if we turf it and it can be used for multiple sports and multiple groups at different times, wouldn't it be wonderful to have an extra space to not push a practice even later at night? It's just, and we have a chunk of money, so it's, this opportunity may not come again. And, um, Ms. Michael, what you said, uh, the netting could get done by the spring season, which I think is obviously the top priority for all of us. Um, the, and, and do you have any concerns if we voted on the netting, for example, in the next meeting um, for that to get done? Is that going to concern your timelines of getting that done by the spring if we waited two weeks for the netting decision? So I don't have concerns about waiting two weeks for a decision. I think we wouldn't want to replace the netting until we were sure what we were doing with the field just to ensure if we put up the netting that there would be no conflict for whatever we're doing with the field. And when you say do, doing the field, choosing grass versus turf? Yeah, we would want to make sure with the vendor that that when we put the netting up, neither of those options would impinge on the netting that we put up. Okay. I also um, want to recognize Dr. Ortiz is in, can, is still has concerns or thoughts about maybe not flipping the field. We, we would be in favor of not flipping the field, um, but if, if he still wants to consider that or contemplate that, that would have a huge impact on the netting as well. Dr. Ortiz, were you trying to say something? I'm sorry, I'm just trying to press the button. Yeah, I and mean, I think, you know, I understand like the there, there's a cost implication, but I think, you know, the, the the discussion that we had earlier on the flipping of the field, you know, the the those poles are gonna be big no matter what. You know, those nets are, you know, are you know are, are kind of what they are. There's kind of limited access over on that side. If we make more access, that's gonna take up um, you know, space that could be field. You know, I, you know, um, you know. Obviously, there's a foul ball issue if you have it close by, but you know that can't be a problem that hasn't been managed before. You know, so it's like I think it's just you know not to say that that wouldn't be some you know I, I wouldn't ultimately end on the fact just keep it the way it is, but I, it's just like I think it's again it all feels a little kludgy right now, and I just um, would like to like have just like a little clearer sense of the direction here so that we were making a really solid decision. Oh yeah, and then and then with the lights not being modern, you know they're being existing. You know, sooner or later we're gonna have to replace those anyway. Um, of course, I guess we're, I suppose you could retrofit them. You know, there's like all these little kind of ins and outs that we don't need to get in the weeds of it. But I think just having it all sketched out in a way that's a little clearer than this budget resolution, which is focused fundamentally on the fact that the field needs to be replaced, which is true. Um, is something that I would prefer, especially given the cost. I think I, I think we would really want to push to not flip the field based on the feedback from our coaches uh, and from those that use it. Um, so you know we can certainly put that in a memo of sort of what what we would expect um, to be doing going forward, um, and perhaps that would be helpful and um, so you could see it some of the details. Yes, Ms. Tice. Uh, I just wanted to. If we're, if we are, I'm happy if people need more time 
I'm perfectly happy with the two weeks, though. Um, I am in support of the turf field and the current orientation. Um, but I um, was just looking back through all of our comments, and we have not, to my knowledge, gotten any comments um, advocating for a grass field. Um, so not to say that those sentiments aren't out in the community, but I haven't heard them yet. Um, they either explicitly request the turf field or they don't mention turf versus grass. So if we are gonna take the two weeks for people to get more comfortable and there is a compelling argument for keeping grass that's not purely budgetary, I would be interested in that from anyone out there who's advocating that that I haven't heard from. I think that gets into the old school philosophy, you know, of grass versus turf. And I'm sure if my my college son was here, he would sit back. Who ironically plays on a on a college field that the infield is turf and the outfield is grass. Um, but we're not going down that road. But um, but you know, it is interesting um, because I think uh, you know the turf. Someone used the term tonight, penny wise, pound foolish. And you know, there there's been money every year to keep up this grass field. And you know, even if you were to, this is again my, my opinion, but even if you were to um, level it and you still have the grass, you're still going to be in the same situation a couple years from now with dents and crevices and things. And so it's just, and, P and Dr. Noonan's pouring good money in after bad, whatever that is. So I, I think, you know, knowing that this committee came out advocating for the turf, um, which included the coaches, which I think is a big piece of it. Um, you know, but I think there's always going to be preferences. You know, I'd rather play, play on grass versus turf, but I think in terms of an investment, to me, this makes sense because this is something, you know, our, our stadium football field has been down there. It has no maintenance. I mean, once once this thing goes in, that we're done. Oh, and absolutely. it won't be for 30 years that the next school board is going to have to deal with this. Yeah. So we're, yeah. we're paying it forward to a, the school board for 30 years from now. <laughs> so I understand, I fully understand the benefits of yeah. turf and I'm pro turf. I just, um, just to Dr. No, I know that, point, no, that's an interesting observation. Was, yeah. There were other sentiments out there. I'd be curious what they were yeah, besides budgetary. Which I understand. Yeah. Okay, so if we, um, so just a quick summary is that it seems like in general, everyone is, um, knows that this baseball field needs help. In general, I think everyone is pretty much on board with the idea of turf, um, but not everyone is quite there yet with the process and wanting to have a little bit more information. So um, I know that Dr. Noonan and Ms. Michael, thank you so much for all the information you provided tonight. And you heard from the board members um, what some people are looking for. Uh, so we'll hopefully have a, so a little bit more information from you all and that we will commit to vote on this um, at our next meeting two weeks from now. So that will give everyone some more time uh, to, to talk to community members. It'll give the community more time to get in touch with us. Um, but as I said, I, I, do, I don't want to keep kicking the can down the road. I'd like to hold firm to two weeks from now and have an up or down vote so that hopefully it will be approved and we can move forward with at least the, the bare necessities that we need to get done for the spring season. Okay. All right. So um, Ms. Minson, in terms of how does that work in terms of the, um, this is when I need Phil Reidinger here. Um, since there's a budget, since there's a motion, do we just move on? Do we need to do anything? Just, I think you can just table it till the next meeting. Okay. Okay. So we can just move on. Okay. Um, so speaking of Mince, Ms. Minson, we're at 8.04 second reading of policy. 
Thank you. This evening we have one policy for second reading. It is actually the policy that was reviewed by the board um, back on March 14th, 2023, JHCDN, Administering Medicines Naloxonone. At that time we were hoping to gather more information about whether our students could carry and or administer um, this that has been decided. So there are changes um, proposed at lines 7, 8, and 35. Um, but generally the policy is very similar to when it was last presented to the board in March. Any questions on policy JHCDN? I just wanted to thank you for your work on this. I know this is something that, that we've been working on and um, you know I think of it every time, sadly, when I hear things you know, happening at the schools. So just wanted to, to thank you very much for, for working on this. It's been a team effort. Ms. Sharp spent a lot of time on this too. Any questions from anyone? Okay. So we're at uh, 8.04. If someone could make the motion, please. Yes, Ms. Silverman. I move that the school board approve second reading and adoption of policy JHCDN, administering medicines, naloxone, as presented. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Could I have a second? Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries. And we're at 8.05, first reading of policies. We also have one policy for first reading this evening. It's policy EB, School Crisis, Emergency Management, and Medical Emergency Response Plan. It was last reviewed by the board in September 2022, and there are a number of changes based on updates to the Virginia Code um, from House Bill 1704, Senate Bill 821 um, that were in effect in May uh, 2023. Any questions about policy EB? Okay. Seeing none, if we could have a motion at 8.05. Yes, Vice Chair Gold. Move that the school board approve first reading of policy EB, school crisis, emergency management, and medical emergency response plan as presented. Thank you. Could I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Thank you. Motion carries, and we're at 9.01 future agenda items. Does anyone have any thoughts on any future agenda items? Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Um, this doesn't really affect you and I. I know, I was just going to say, we're run, you and I are running out of time. Running they better out of time. <laughs> um, but I just thought I would, um, I enjoyed the sort of open, free-flowing town hall discussions with staff. And I felt that was like without, sorry, Dr. Noonan, without, you know, unchaperoned, just school board. Um, and I I think that was, I think it was a good exchange. It was worthwhile to hear what they had to say. And, and if I were staying on the school board, I would suggest that we do it each term, you know, each like fall and spring. But just my two cents. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, found, I found those very um, enlightening. I thought, I thought they, they've been very interesting, just as I thought meeting with the parents the other night was really interesting. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Any other thoughts? Okay. We're going to 
to move on to 10.01, the superintendent's report. Dr. Noonan. All right, uh, given the hour, I'll move through this relatively quickly. Um, again, organized in the five themes of our strategic plan. So let me start with communication and engagement. Um, just wanna thank uh, Kristen Michael and, and her team, Regina uh, Anderson, our great transportation director. Here comes the bus is back. Um, so now that all of the bus routes are set, we can send out uh, that information to uh, Here Comes the Bus. And so uh, thank you, thanks for your patience and you can certainly download that now. Um, another engagement piece that I'm very pleased to announce is that um, for those of you that don't know, Suzanne Ladke has been named the Executive Director of the Falls Church Education Foundation permanently. Um, after 11 years in the role, Debbie Hiscott left the Falls Church Ed Foundation for a new position. And under her leadership, the ongoing partnership between the school division and the foundation really flourished. And we're looking forward to working very closely with Suzanne on some of the great projects like super grants, teacher grants, and family assistance fund, and even more. And so we are looking forward to um, seeing some new ideas um, come out of, of Suzanne as well. In terms of wellness, equity, and belonging, just congratulations to the community. The bike, walk, and, or walk, bike, and roll to school day last week was a really great success. Um, Want to give a shout out to the Health and Wellness Committee. Um, bike Falls Church organized a fun and safe event supported by our local police, um, community members, and parents. Uh, there were two well-attended bike buses that students joined on the way to school, and members of the Meridian Bike Club greeted students and celebrated their accomplishments. The next walk, bike, and roll school day will be in May, and uh, hopefully everybody will be ready. Um, music days are coming. Our high school band kids are ready to do whatever you need them to do. They will rake leaves, babysit, garden, um, uh, play concerts in the neighborhood. Consider, uh, so everybody should consider hiring a Meridian musician uh, to help get the job done. As part of the Music Day fundraiser from October 21st to December 3rd, school musicians will be out in the community working to earn money for their once in a lifetime trip to Carnegie, Carnegie Hall in New York City. And all proceeds from these jobs will go directly to help pay for the big street, big trip to the Big Apple. Um, and are looking forward to that. Um, lastly, in um, health, wellness, and or wellness, equity, and belonging, um, our fourth graders have. Um, have, we have a particular fourth grader who made his professional stage debut recently, and I want to just give a shout out to Marco Menendez Romero, um, who is a very sweet, energetic Oak Street fourth grader um, who caught the theater bug after the production of Adam's Family. Um, he participated in a two-week camp at Creative Cauldron and was invited to audition for the cast of Monarch, a Mexican-American musical, and his talent, enthusiasm, and ability with language. Marco is trilingual. Uh, make him a cherished addition to the production. And so congratulations to Marco. And that runs through October 29th at Creative Cauldron in case you wanna catch Marco in person. Um, in terms of IB infused teaching and learning, congratulations to National Merit semifinalists and commended students. Um, this comes from the, PS, the 11th grade PSAT determination. Um, and so Meridian High School commended students are Riley um, Shiriko, uh, Giselle Cowan, Ella Huang, Carson Ramey, and Maureen Tremblay. And then semi-finalists are Tucker Albaugh, Lucas Hollinger, Joseph Zaye, 
uh, William Kroboth and Matthew Janicki. So congratulations to all of them for being um, commended and semi-finalists. Our human anatomy and physiology job shadowing is going on. Uh, classes are given an opportunity to shadow professional, um, professionals related to the human body for five plus hours and make a visual diary of their experiences. This has been a life-changing experience for some of our students um, and uh, we are hoping that all of our kids will participate if they're interested to please contact Kish Rafiq. Um, she is helping spearhead um, this program. Um, we recently received um, the silver recognition on the 2023 AP Honor Roll, which comes from the College Board. Um, AP School Honor Roll recognizes schools whose AP programs were delivering results for students while broadening access. Uh, in terms of equity, that's really important to us. Students can earn this recognition annually based on criteria that reflect their commitment to increasing college ongoing culture, I'm sorry, college going culture, providing opportunities for students to earn college credit and maximizing college readiness. Um, in the three honor matrices, Meridian had 70% of the seat seniors who took at least one AP exam during high school. That was a gold ranking. 50% of our seniors scored a three or higher, which makes them eligible for college credit, um, which is a platinum ranking. And 7% of our, our seniors took five or more AP exams, which was a silver uh, ranking as well, leading to an overall ranking of silver. Um, this is particularly impressive because FCCPS is a pre-K-12 IB continuum school district and Meridian only offers five AP courses. Um, so our kids were, were deeply involved in those five AP courses that we do offer. And lastly, investing in our people. Um, just want to say that nominations are open right now for the four FCCPS Employees of the Year. Everyone is encouraged to nominate an employee to the Falls Church Ed Foundation um, Teachers of the Year. Um, and the positions are Teacher of the Year, Professional Support Specialist of the Year, Support Staff Employee of the Year for Operations, and Support Staff Employee of the Year for Academics. Um, the nomination calendar and the process is changing um, this year, but the nominations and awards are staying, uh, or the awards are staying the same. In order to reduce the burden on nominators, the initial nomination packet requirements are shorter. Um, following initial nominations, school employees will be selected, uh, will select their building or department nominee for each award, and then those selected for the building or department nominee will be announced in November, and a more robust nomination packet will be assembled for those finalists. Um, um, and the division-wide selection process will follow with each award being announced in January of 24. Uh, 2024. And last but not least, con congratulations to the one and only Tosin Aditoro, um, who seems to get play at every school board meeting because she is so awesome. Um, there's a great story about her in the October edition of Northern Virginia Magazine because of, because of her work as the Oak Street STEM teacher, uh, STEAM teacher who was recognized as a finalist for Northern Virginia's Magazine's Teacher of the Year. So those are my updates. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Ms. Tice, do you have any updates? I do. Um, the Advisory Board for Recreation and Parks um, met. They're actually meeting again tomorrow, but they are deep into the plans for Fellows Park or, or the Fellows Property, the park that will go on the Fellows Property across from Oak Street, uh, yet to be named. So they're deep in the naming process, I think will be part of the agenda um, this week, and um, having budgetary challenges with um, the the plans for that space. So that's been pretty interesting. Um, the Special Education Advisory Committee also met and they have submitted their charge for the year uh, and they, their first meeting was spent um, on 
kind of on the orientation and norms for their new group for the year and their focuses for the year. Uh, Health and Wellness Advisory Committee met and they also have uh, formalized their charge for the year and spent a good amount of time orienting their new members and, and setting their goals for the year. They're still working on narrowing their focus on um, what their priorities will be, but they had a successful um, walk and bike to school day last week. They're also co-sponsoring um, a Halloween bike parade on October 28th, which will be, it's a new initiative this year um, with a couple organizations around town, um, Falls Church Forward and I think Bike Falls Church, and they're encouraging people to come in costume, meet at Founders Row on bikes or trikes or scooters or, or what have you, and then bike down Park Avenue, um, potentially getting candy along the way if any neighbors want to pass out candy, and then ending at um, Cherry Hill where the Halloween festivities will be happening. So that's a pretty fun new idea this year. Um, so they're hoping to co-sponsor that. Thank you, Ms. Tice. Dr. Anderson. So not too much. I did want to echo uh, Dr. Noonan's comments on the bike walk roll uh, to school day. Uh, even though there was not a bike bus for the elementary kids, there was plenty of elementary kids biking up the Mount Daniel Hill. Um, my son made it to the sixth driveway past Walnut. He was very excited about that. Uh, but the, the sidewalk was just covered uh, with, uh, with students, and it was fantastic to see. Um, and I did just want to mention all the um, uh, people who came out to the town hall. Um, both at, or all, all of the teachers who came out to the town halls that we had there, and um, it was it was great to just kind of have a conversation with uh, the people in the community about their concerns, and I'm looking forward to seeing more on Thursday. Thank you. I can't even bike up the, past the sixth house on Walnut, so good for him. Uh, Couple quick updates. Uh, uh, Dr. Noonan already mentioned um, Suzanne Hladicky as the executive director of uh, Falls Church Education Foundation. Debbie Hiscock laid an amazing foundation um, for Suzanne to build upon. So can't wait to see all the great things that'll be happening with the Education Foundation. Uh, they had 900 runners uh, in the run for the schools, and they had 96 golfers for the Little City Scramble. So as soon as um, Dr. Noonan and I get numbers on. Um, funds raised, we'll let you know, but those are two of their big fundraisers. Uh, I, Dr. Noon and I attended the PEAK meeting a couple weeks ago, and um, they had a discussion about uh, long-term subs, uh, technology in the schools, um, different food policies, like if food can be brought in for birthdays, that sort of thing. And then we also talked about convoc convocation and professional development. And that's it for me, Vice Chair Gould. I attended Chamber of Commerce this morning, uh, which is great to see all the new members coming in. Um, we also are looking forward to all the town halls, as Dr. Anderson said. We've got Sean working on the student town hall, um, a date for uh, the secondary, and we attended office hours, Chair Downs and I did. Should I go through the yeah. list of topics? Yeah. Okay. So it's 1040. Um, <laughs> so, there was, uh, it, wasn't, it was only like three topics, right? A lot of people, but it wasn't that many topics. Uh, I, yeah, we had. We oh. Oh, yeah. All right, maybe. We had uh, solar panels, uh, which Dr. Oh. Noonan gave us an update on. We I, had, I was I had was talking to one group, and you had I think more <laughs> groups coming to me. We had uh, 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 someone advocating for transgender uh, issues and making sure that the board is as uh, how we're approaching the 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 
uh, policies from the state. We had uh, a number of parents come about the Oak Street uh, issues with the fourth grade, um, ensuring that the strategies were uh, being implemented for the current students as well as the process for placement for next year and doing an equity audit. We had advanced academic uh, uh, question about the identification process. We had a question about the principal coffees that um, uh, Ms. Silverman asked about, about uh, recording those or having those available. Uh, a class size discussion. Uh, there was a collective bargaining um, a, a discussion from uh, with Chair Downs. And then there was a sustainable and action committee question about how the school is approaching sustainability and how we can possibly form a committee around sustainability um, for our schools. Is there anything else? Great summary. No, okay. you did a great job. Thank you, Vice Chair Gold. Dr. Dimmick. Um, the Coral Boosters had some successful events. Um, I would publicize them, but they've already happened. Um, the library board, um, Mr. Shields came to the library board meeting. Um, um, the board discussed the roles of different people in the library. Um, the Jenny Carroll took a new position with the city, so there's a new acting um, or interim director of the library, Marshall Webster. Um, and the gifted and talented advisory committee um, talked about, you know, they talked about what was going on in schools and, and looked forward to what they plan to do this coming year and worked on their charge. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. Ms. Silverman. Uh, yes, I attended the Business and Education Advisory Committee meeting and we went over our uh, committee charge, which was voted on tonight. Um, secondly, I attended the VSBA Legislative Advocacy Conference. Um, so great discussions, um, uh, great panels on the legislative outlook on how to best prepare for the 2024 General Assembly um, and implementing the Virginia Literacy Act. Um, one final note, I had a great time running in the FCEF uh, race. Um, I did notice that Dr. Gould beat me by about 30 seconds, but I'm going to attribute that to the height difference. Um, next year, my goal is to beat Dr. Gould. Thank you. And I'll be cheering you on. You can cheer me on from the sideline, chair, chair down. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you Ms. very much, Ms. Silverman. Okay, and thanks. Oh, Sean, Mr. Lewin. Thank And oh, David Chase. Well, it is almost 11 o'clock. Okay, uh, Mr. Lewin, please. Okay, I do have a few updates. So homecoming is this weekend and the Student Council Association at Meridian planned an exciting evening for students, which in includes quote, dancing, music, free food and school spirit. Speaking of spirit, Spirit Week is also this week, which was also planned by the SCA and that include, included themes such as Barbie versus Oppenheimer, Jersey Day, Twin Day and class colors. Tomorrow, Wednesday, October 11th is the school-wide PSAT test testing day for grades 9 through 11 at the high school. Um, also a pet supply drive, which is led by the Pause for a Cause Club is happening now at the high school as well. And Meridian's Ruthless Musical, directed by Mr. Northrop, is opening on the 19th, which is very exciting. In terms of sports, I know the girls' volleyball team has been performing very well and recently coordinated the annual Dig Pink fundraiser, which was a massive success. And the varsity field hockey team remains undefeated. Um, for myself, I recently met with um, and worked with Mr. Laub and Ms. Hardy prior to her departure to coordinate visits to every school in the district in coming weeks. Hopefully, um, I'm planning on working with each school 
each school's student council association or other collectives in order to proctor a conversation or lesson around providing feedback for the or input to the board at a future meeting. Currently, I'm working towards having meetings with each of the school's leadership head to to plan these student meetings in the and use the medium that they best see fit as I want to get to the core of the students' opinions on what they would tell the person in charge or how they could improve their learning experience as a community. Additionally, I would like to thank both Mr. Laub and Ms. Hardy for being instrumental in this ongoing effort and echoing what Mr. Or what Dr. Gould was saying. Um, there is a uh, student town hall for students centered around the topics of early release Wednesdays and changing start times for the secondary campus that is currently being planned and I'm very eager to partake in that conversation with my peers. Thank you, great update. Thank you so much, Mr. Lewin. Uh, Dr. Ortiz, did you have any updates? Just, to, uh, I'll be as brief as I can. Um, first, um, the, um, I've had, I've had some conflicts between very, between my, between both the athletic boosters and the ESOL advisor committee meeting on the same nights, but the, um, uh, athletic boosters met last month on the 18th and, um, and, uh, aside from little city scramble, um, have a lot of things that are going on with respect to fall sports. I want to provide some actually really important dates. Um, last Friday was a youth night football game, which was really tremendous. Um, and then the, um, uh, aside from the homecoming day game, um, this coming Friday on the 27th is senior night. But then looking ahead, winter sports tryouts are November 7th and spring sports tryouts are on February 20th. And that's really just around the corner. So, um, you know, please enjoy our um, uh, Meridian athletes, they're doing terrific, um, especially the field hockey team. Um, and then with the ESOL Advisory Committee, um, we had a meeting on September 18th, and um, we discussed um, the need to really dig into um, kind of achievement of, of multilingual learners, but also really embracing multilingual learners. And, and we built that into the charge that um, the, the board approved in the, in the um, in the consent agenda just a little while ago. So the, the committee looks forward to working with, with the community to, to make sure that we're supporting all of our students. So that's, that's my update um, with a last little plug to, to everybody to please go see Ruthless on uh, the 19th, the 20th, and the 21st. Thank you so much, Dr. Ortiz. Okay, we're at 12.01 approval of minutes of October 25th, 2022, and Ms. Goodell had sent those to the board previously. So I'd like to ask for unanimous consent to approve the minutes of October 25th, 2022 as presented and seeing no objections, the minutes are approved. And 13.01, uh, you'll see that's a FCCPS enrollment for board review. And now we're gonna go into a second closed meeting. And um, after that closed meeting will be adjourning. So. Um, I anticipate the streaming of the meeting will be um, turned off now because we won't be coming back into doing any public business. Uh, so if we're at 14.01, closed meeting, if someone could read us into close. Oh, Ms. Silverman, yes. <laughs> Pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose, to discuss or consider the identified subject matter. Legal matters under section 2.2-37118A Eight, in particular, consultation with legal counsel employed or retained by the public body regarding specific legal matters requiring the provision of legal advice by such counsel. 
Thank you. Could I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. All those in favor say yes. Yes. All those opposed say no. Okay. We'll be moving to look into close and uh, thanks to the public for watching us this evening and uh, we'll be moving into close. And Mr. Ortiz, you can just go back to the link that we used for the last close. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Clear out of here.